Okay. Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and this is session, I should say, session 76 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings, the session in which we actually finish chapter 11. And I feel fairly confident about this because there are only two (laughs) slides left in uh, chapter 11, though they are the description of the actual attack on Frodo uh, by the Ringwraith. So I'm not necessarily as confident that we're going to get past those two slides, but I feel pretty confident uh, that we are going to uh, complete chapter 11 here tonight. However, uh, tonight uh, is an exciting night because, of course, as many of you know, especially if you uh, attended our uh, fun reading event on Saturday, um, this is uh, the beginning of our fundraising campaign. So we have our fall fundraising campaign is launched and underway. Uh, this is the, the time of year when we uh, uh, you know, sort of invite people to, to sort of express gratitude for all the stuff that we do our our policy our approach at signum is you know we want to we want to give as much as we can away for free you know and we never ask we never put a you know a a pay gateway down in front of anything um but we do ask once a year we do ask uh you know if uh you could consider donating to help support and help us continue doing what we're doing um what we do it costs a lot, and uh, there's a lot of things that we're working on and doing uh, that are pretty exciting. We want to. Our goal is to continue to expand and to offer more and more and more free stuff uh, to people. Um, but of course, in order to do that, uh, we need your help uh, and your support. So, um, our fundraising campaign: we're raising money for the annual fund. Uh, which is most of that is to go just to support our budget to, to pay for things like the software that we use to make all of our stuff available to everybody and stuff. You know, we pay by the download and we make downloads free for everybody of all of our files. So, um, you know, through our podcast streams and everything else. Anyway, there's lots of stuff and I'll, I'll, I'll give a, lo- a further breakdown. If you want more details, actually, on what we spend our money on and where your donations go and stuff, uh, I invite you to join me during the, cam- the uh, traditional campaign ending webathon. Uh, which we will be holding on Saturday, uh, September, Saturday, October 13th. Um, I'm going to do a session, uh, my annual state of the university address. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to walk you guys through the, our budget and everything. I, uh, we like to be totally transparent at Signum University. So I'll show you our budget. I'll show you where things go and, and, and what we're doing. I say most of it, uh, goes to help support our, 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 our regular annual budget. Uh, some of it of course is also going towards the big process that we are in the middle of our credentialing process. Um, we have achieved this past summer, uh, we have achieved program approval uh, by the Department of Education in the state of New Hampshire, and the next step, of course, uh, is accreditation, which is what we're working on right now. So, um, no guarantees that that or, or when exactly that's going to come, but that's the process that we're working on right now, and that also costs money. Um, so, some of the some of the money from the uh, the donations that we're receiving will be going towards that as well. So. Anyway, um, that's uh, that's that, that's what we're doing. So let me explain uh, sort of a little bit more about how this um, how how this is how this is going to work. So first of all, you know we uh, uh, 
we we encourage you guys, you know, again, during this time of year to give back to us. We also like to show our appreciation for folks uh, who donate, you know, and who help to support us because uh, we want you to know how much we value that. Even, you know, people who can only give a little bit, it still matters a lot uh, to us. And those things all really add up. It is, it is uh, you know, if everybody who who listened to us could give just a, just a tiny little bit, we would be great right you know you always hear people talking like that but it's really true um but anyway so what 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 we like to do to show our appreciation is um uh we uh have a whole bunch of our our donor reward program that we give to to uh thank our donors um and there's a whole bunch of things i commend this to you if you go to our website signumuniversity.org slash fund and you can see the page it gives you the all the full detailed breakdowns of what you get uh if you donate at different levels whether you're able to just give a small monthly donation or whether you want to uh give in one lump sum um we give you lots of things you can be a member of the council of the wise to help to determine which book we do next in the Mythgard academy uh you can get uh some of our uh, uh annual commemorative memorabilia which is really fun so we have we have our new uh our new our my new signum university mug here or where's the other one here it is our uh our our shopping bag right for people who are economically conscious anyway uh really really cool stuff it's like the stuff that we gave last year but it's different it's new every year um we also have a new thing, one thing I really wanted to draw your attention to. Uh, for people who give $200 over the course of the year, or who, or just that breaks down to a monthly donation of only $15 a month, um, for people who give $15 a month or $200, you will be a member of the Signum Fellowship. That's a new thing that uh, we're establishing this year. And what that is, is I really want to... Um, sort of to, to, to create a new thing where I'm able to kind of stay in better touch with the people who are giving and supporting and who have really invested in Signum. I want to make sure that you know what's going on and, you know, what we're doing with the money that you invested in us and, and the kind of progress we're making and cool things that are coming up. So what I'm going to do is every month uh, I'm going to have a, a, a special meeting, uh, a, a special confabulation with the Signum Fellowship. I'll, I'll call together the Signum Fellowship uh, uh, and uh, just kind of give you guys some updates, tell you what's going on, tell you uh, uh, thing. You know, we can we can we can talk, chat. I'd love to receive your own suggestions and thoughts and feedback about things, and answer any questions that you might have and everything. Um, and if, of course, if you can't attend live, uh, we'll send you a link to the recording of that, so you can uh, so you can see that uh, whenever uh, whenever you can. So. Um, Anyway, yeah, so it's it's very uh, uh, that that's a that's a new thing that I'm really excited about. As I said, that's sort of for for donors who give at the at the two hundred dollar level, or as I say, only fifteen dollars a month. Um, anyway, so we have lots of other things. I encourage you to look over the donor reward program there. I also, during the course of our class session, so this is the first of three class sessions that we're going to be doing during our fundraising campaign, which gets started last weekend on Hobbit Day, as we always do, and ending on the 13th of October. Um, and during this time, I also want to kind of sort of celebrate exploring the Lord of the Rings and the, the, the contributions that you guys make. So this is what we're going to do. Um, we're going uh, to do a couple uh, prize drawings 
and stuff uh, on a regular basis here. So there are two different things. So let me let me explain two different things we're going to do. First, um, I want to 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 give a, a special thank you uh, to everybody who uh, you know to to the to the people who donate, um, and uh, specifically from exploring the Lord of the Rings. So we're going to do a drawing during the webathon. So everybody who makes a donation, so here, here's what you should do. If you make a donation, send us an email. Uh, now you're going to ask to what email address? To that email address down here, donate at signumu.org. Send us an if you If you've already made a donation, if you maybe you have a, cur- a recurrent monthly donation that's still running from last year, maybe you're just setting up a new donation or, 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 or making a new gift this year. Send us an email to donate at signumu.org and just mention exploring the Lord of the Rings. You kind of, uh, it's not a dedication of the money, but it's sort of a, just a, 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 an acknowledgement of exploring the Lord of the Rings. And then we'll put you into the exploring the Lord of the Rings drawing. Everybody who donates and sends us that email mentioning exploring the Lord of the Rings will go into a drawing. We're going to do the drawing uh, during the webathon on the 13th of October, and we'll give away three prizes. Uh, two of the people who win the drawing are going to receive a uh, an anytime audit um, seat uh, for any of our classes. So if you uh, know about this program, our anytime audit program is really fun. Any of the courses that we've offered over the last seven years, almost any, any of the courses that are in our Signum catalog, I should say, um, are available to be audited anytime. So you can, you can uh, uh, get, I've talked about this at various points in the past, but you get access to all the recorded lectures, you get access to all the course materials, um, and you can just kind of walk through that, uh, uh, that class on your own. So uh, the, the, the normal cost, uh, tuition cost of our, uh, of our anytime audit courses is $95. So we're going to give away, uh, uh, one of those to actually to all three of our winners, but our grand prize winner will also get something else, right? Uh, and what they will get, so our grand prize winner from the Exploring the Lord of the Rings drawing will get to choose to do a special session with me during class. So what we're going to do is during one of you, and you can do one of two things during our field trip time after class one night, uh, if you are in Lotro or are interested in what we're doing, what, what I'm doing at the end there with the Lord of the Rings uh, online adaptation and thinking about the game world, I want to, you know, you can come along with me either with a character of your own or if you don't have a character, you can just watch and I'll activate your mic and we can we can talk and discuss. We'll go anywhere in Middle Earth you want to go that's in the game uh, and, uh, and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about together. Or uh, if you don't want to do that, if you would like to just sort of talk about something else. I know there are a lot of people who have things like... I, because we've been rushing through things as much as we have, there are a lot of questions we've left unanswered as we've gone through, or a lot of things that people would kind of like to, you know, many people I know would kind of like to go back to and talk about a little bit more. And I can't get to every single comment that's made on the discussion board. And I know that there are lots of people who have questions and thoughts who don't get a chance to post on the discussion board. So uh, again, so if you win the grand prize, uh, then we could we could just discuss something else. There are passages of the text you want to talk about. Is there a, is there an issue or topic that you want? to discuss um you'll get to do that as well so you'll get your own kind of dedicated we can do whatever you want to do that's the in addition to an anytime audit course so that's the um uh that's the that's the donation and and the the drawing is for people who donate at at any level again we really appreciate all of our donors so um um 
Yeah. Anyhow, so that's that's just to let you know. So again, what you need to do, make a donation anytime. And if you've already had, you can still do that. You know, if you already have donated, th that will still count. Just send an email here to donate at signumu.org and we'll put you in the drawing for that. Um, in addition, we also want to... Um, uh, we also want to thank you guys for showing up live. So for the people who attend live uh, in class, we're going to do a couple drawings during each of the next three classes during the fundraising campaign, including tonight, starting tonight. So we're going to uh, we're going to do a couple drawings, two drawings tonight. And the prize in tonight's drawing uh, and or the, each of the drawings we're going to do over the next three weeks is. A book. We're going to send you a book with a custom book plate in it uh, with my signature and a, a customized little sort of blurb and little kind of introductory discussion thing uh, that I've done uh, for that particular book. Um, so we'll send you your own kind of commemorative copy of the book uh, to, to, again, just as a, as, as a little uh, sort of door prize and thank you for uh, joining us and exploring the Lord of the Rings and, and uh, uh, making... The, this class is much fun as it is. Uh, the books that you can choose from. Uh, so we have, uh, we're, we're, we're featuring these books, which are sort of uh, part of the whole focus of what we do and what we have been doing and what we're planning to do uh, here in Mythgard. So we have uh, a copy of my book. If you want a copy of my book with uh, my the book plate and, and, uh, and my signature in it, um, a copy of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Unfinished Tales, uh, Sauron Defeated, which is, of course, the next book right now we're doing Sir Thomas Mowry's Le Morte d'Arthur in Mythgard Academy. Sauron Defeated is our next class coming up after that. Um, so if you want a copy of that, um, or Dune by Frank Herbert. So we've got some of our, uh, a bunch of our Tolkien stuff, some of our, our, our other fantasy interests from Mythgard, and some of our science fiction interests um, from, uh, uh, from Mythgard. So, oh yeah. Gilgonthir got one last year. Yeah, cool. So, okay, so we're going to do two drawings, and you can choose. So, again, what you'll have to do, if you win a drawing, send an email to donate at signumu.org and say, hey, dude, I, wanted, I won the drawing, and we'll, we'll, we'll get the stuff sent to you. Um, so, uh, Ingwe asks, will there ever be an Exploring the Lord of the Rings book? Well, that'll be interesting, won't it? Uh, eh. I won't say I'm not thinking about it. Uh, I'm kind of busy just now, but I won't say I'm not thinking about it. Um, anyway, okay, so so this is how it's going to work. So we're going to do the drawing. I'm going to do this at the end of our um, class time, right? At the end of our, uh, our book discussion before we start on the field trip. So that's when we'll do the attendee drawing. But wait, there's one more thing. I'm going to do two drawings, right? If you make a donation to help support Signum University during class tonight... Then you'll get entered into a second. So I'm going to do one drawing to give away one free book just to thank the people who made donations during class today. And then I'm going to do another one for everybody who attended, whether you were able to donate or not, or whether you donated at a different time or whatever. Um, so just to, to thank people who, who actually went ahead and made a donation during class tonight of whatever size, I will enter you into that second. So if you donate during class, you get two shots at the drawing, in other words. Um, okay. So... That's the plan. All right, so we're going to do two drawings tonight, and again, everybody who donates and sends us an email talking about, you know, mentioning exploring the Lord of the Rings will get entered into our big drawing that we're going to do for any time audit seats and for the grand prize of an extra uh, special session of your own determination. Um, that will be, that will happen during the webathon on the thirteenth. Okay.
All right. I think I explained the things. Uh, but again, I just wanted to, as always during the campaign, I always am, uh, am sort of overcome with uh, uh, repeated, uh, you know, convictions of gratitude to everybody who uh, has helped support us. You know, Signum University is, I really think, is unique. I don't know of any, um, I don't know of any other example of a university that has started up from scratch and has just been completely crowdfunded. Um, you know, not not a university that started up from scratch with some endowment from some foundation or, or from, you know, some wealthy person who says, you know, go and, you know, take this and go found a university. That's just been founded up purely based on the support and enthusiasm of the people involved. Um, and uh, as uh, Matt was just mentioning before, when we were talking to the New Hampshire people, they were obviously a little bit, they kind of didn't know what to do with it. You know, they were, they were kind of impressed. Uh, and uh, I, yeah, it was, it, was, it was obviously a very different kind of thing. Um, you know, there's, there's this kind of sense of like, this shouldn't be possible. <laughs> How is this possible? And the reason that it is possible, uh, of course, is through your support that has continued year after year uh, since we began back in 2011. So, uh, so many, many thanks again for that and for your continued support and help. Um, right. As Sharon points out, that's not to say that we would say no uh, if some philanthropist decided they wanted to give us a very large endowment. That's totally fine. Anyone who would like to talk about a seven or eight figure endowment, uh, we, we can, I'll make time, right? We'll sort it out. But in the meantime, I remain exceptionally grateful uh, for uh, all the, um, all the, the, the gifts that you guys have been, have been giving. Um, all right. Uh, so, cool. Let's see. Um, yeah, yes, the, uh, the Hobbit Day reading, I see people were asking about that. The Hobbit Day reading, uh, is on, um, uh, is on YouTube. Uh, yes. So, yeah. Good. Excellent. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's move forward then. Well, actually, hang on a second. Let me first go back and make sure poor Narnian isn't, uh, uh, too AFK already. Okay. All right. Um, so tonight's class, as you might have seen, is uh, on the Morgul Blade. So uh, we're going to be focusing on um, uh, the attack itself and the aftermath, if we get to the aftermath. Uh, we'll sort of see how that goes. But, um, uh, but um, before that, one comment that I wanted to come to from the discussion board, and that is about the name of Tenuviel from Blad the Inspirer. So, um, he says, I'd forgotten the fact that Baron would have no way of knowing Luthien's name, uh, and therefore must have been inspired to call her this, uh, that is, when he calls out Tenuviel, Tenuviel, based purely on his experience of seeing her. It made me think about two connections between that moment and Aragorn's life. Um, and, th by the way, I think, Blad, that that's a really interesting uh, reading of that line, which I find a little bit puzzling. He called her by her elvish name, Tenuviel, Tenuviel. He called her by her elvish name. In what sense is that her elvish name? You know, and what is it? I, the full weight of that line, he called her by her elvish name, uh, I, I feel like has kind of eluded me. And that this is, I think, a really interesting reading of it, right? That, um, uh, you know, just by seeing her, her name, the name that in fact she had been called by the elves, just kind of came to him, right? Um, 
But anyway, uh, so he goes on. The first connection uh, between this and Aragorn is Aragorn's name, Alessar. We find out in the Houses of Healing and the Return of the King that the people of Minas Tirith named him Elfstone because of the green stone that he wore, and so the name which it was foretold at his birth that he should bear was chosen for him by his own people. There is a self-fulfilling prophecy element to this example, but can such an element be seen in the Tenuvial line in the poem? That's really interesting. I think that that's... Um, actually a really neat way of thinking about that, right? So just as he just calls out Tenuviel, Tenuviel calls her by her elvish name, that it's, that, that it's kind of like this, you know, and thus the name that she had been given and that everybody back home called her anyway is spontaneously given to her by Baron, right? Just based upon, just based upon uh, meeting her. Um, so, okay, the second connection is far more explicit. Aragorn, of course, calls out Tenuviel's name when he first sees Arwen because he was thinking about her at the time. I always just thought of this as a nice parallel between the two stories, but after hearing your comments on the poem, I started to wonder if this is actually calling attention to a contrast between the two stories. Baron was right on the money when he cried to Nuviel, but Aragorn is just a little off and is quickly corrected by Arwen. Could this be foreshadowing a sadder and more bitter ending to the story of Aragorn and Arwen than we had for Baron and Luthien? I don't know. Um, first of all, certainly I agree. I mean, I think especially when you connect those two things. Right. When you connect the, you know, sort of the way in which Baron just kind of, he just knew, right. There was, it was an express, you know, and doom fell on Tenuviel, right. We have Baron's doom brings him through the, uh, the girdle of Melian and into uh, Doriath in the first place. And then doom falls on Tenuviel. So the whole, the way in which doom is bringing them together seems to be in a sense expressed, right. By the fact that, um, he calls her by her name, right? Like, the, the name he calls her is the name that she already has. So I do really like that reading of Blads here, um, of that moment. So then, if that's true, right, then would Aragorn... Is Aragorn's calling her Tenuvio, Arwen Tenuvio, when he first meets her, is that a good thing or a bad thing, right? It does recall it, obviously, right? And in a sense... He's not wrong, right? I mean, he is wrong, but he's not totally wrong. I mean, her answer, which I always like to paraphrase as, I get that a lot, right? Um, is, I mean, she is a parallel to Luthien, right? Even like her own people have observed that she is a parallel to Luthien. So he's not like way off base, but, but I agree with Blood. When you really put those two things together, it begins to seem significantly more off base, right? So if if his if Baron's spontaneous identification of Luthien is an indicator, right, of the fact that their doom has brought them together in this perfect way, um, is Aragorn being like near but not quite in the gold, right? Is is that um, is that an indication of what? Of not being that way? Um I don't, um, I'm not sure, right? I'm not sure how to, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily go, Blood, the direction that you take it after that, right? Um, a foreshadowing a sadder and more bitter ending to the story. I don't think so, necessarily. Um, I mean, we'll have to think about that, um, we'll have to think about that ending as we get it. Um, you know, when we get to the appendices, which won't be in very long at all. Uh, but um, it is true that the ending of Aragorn and Arwen's story is different 
in emphasis. But there's sadness and bitterness associated with the ending of the Baron and Luthien story, too. It's different because with the Aragorn and Arwen story, it emphasized their separation, right? Mostly. And it emphasizes in particular Arwen's reluctance, doubts, right? Um, that she has there towards the end. I, um, uh, yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think that's, it doesn't strike me, it's hard, because again, I, I do acknowledge that, you know, that we don't, the one thing we don't get from Baron and Luthien, uh, from the end of the Baron and Luthien story, is any indication of any sundering of the two of them, right? They both even seem to die at a very similar time, right? I don't know if they died both at the same instant, um, but we certainly don't get a separation of years between their deaths, um, as far as we can see uh, in the Silmarillion and in earlier texts as well. They seem to go together. And um, so that, you know, the widowhood of Arwen is a kind of sadness which is not parallel uh, to what we get of the Baron and Luthien story. So I do acknowledge that, but but there's always a sadness and even a bitterness associated with the ending, right? And so they have lost her whom they most loved, right? It's about separation. It's about... Uh, at the end of the day, the Baron and Luthien story is about... Uh, again, that's the, the, the emphasis in the, in the Silmarillion text, right? It's on, like, and, and thus they have lost her whom they most loved. That's, the, that's kind of the punchline. Yeah, it's a terrible metaphor, right? But, um, you know, that's the final emphasis of the story. So loss, sadness, bitterness, yeah, that's, that's, all, that's all there. And, of course, we get that, um, not in the appendices, but we get that with Elrond, right, in, uh, uh, at the end of The Return of the King, in his parting from, from Arwen. Uh, so... I do think that um, to me it doesn't that it doesn't feel t- although we do get that different element doesn't feel to me totally different. So I'm not sure, Blad, that I see that difference, which I do acknowledge is an interesting difference in the sort of level of doom. Um, uh, you know, uh, between I, I I can see that, but I I, I don't think that. Mapping that onto, like, therefore an increased bitterness, or even the, the, the possibility, like, does that mean that, like, Arwen and Aragorn were a mistake or something like that? I, I can't, I can't, I don't really go that direction uh, with it. And Austin, yeah, Austin on Twitter was just asking about, the, you know, how there's this kind of sundering between Aragorn and Arwen, whereas in the story of Luthien and Baron, the emphasis is on the sundering of Luthien from the other elves. But, Austin, you just anticipated exactly what I was going to say in response to that. Uh, they're not really sundered. I mean, like, they're sundered in the sense that she outlives him by a bit, right? But remember the whole gist of their final conversation, Arthur, and Arthur, uh, <laughs> thinking about tomorrow and King Arthur, um, uh, Arwen and Aragorn's conversation uh, is that they are both sundered from the elves, right? She can't go across the sea anymore. She's turned aside, she's made her choice. Right, um, which means she's mortal now, and she is going to be sundered. Which again is made very explicit uh, in the end of the Return of the King, with her, in her de- uh, separation from Elrond. Uh, so no, they're not sundered. I mean, that she, uh, he predeceases her by a bit, so she has an unknown number of years of widowhood. But they're not going to be ultimately sundered any more than Baron and Luthien are ultimately sundered. So, um, anyway. Uh, 
but I think it's a really neat observation, and I'm really glad you made it. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd kind of want to think more about this. Um, I do. Th- I love that connection with the, you know, the people of Minas Tirith naming a, um, Aragorn <clears throat> Elfstone. That seems to me just right as a kind of connection for what um, what we see with uh, with Baron calling out Tenuviel, Tenuviel. But I am less confident of like that we're getting what that means, if you see what I mean. I'm not sure what the implications of the parallel are exactly. Um, but anyway, thanks for the comment. That's really interesting. Now, let's get back to the text. Frodo has just put on the ring. After, and we talked about this for a long time, after what I believe to be primarily that peremptory um, compulsion being placed upon him by the Witch King rather than by the ring itself, having its source in the Witch King rather than in the in the ring itself. Um, and here's what happens as soon as he puts on the ring. Immediately, though everything else remained as before, dim and dark, the shapes became terribly clear. He was able to see beneath their black wrappings. There were five tall figures, two standing on the lip of the dell, three advancing. In their white faces burned keen and merciless eyes. Under their mantles were long gray robes. Upon their gray hairs were helms of silver. In their haggard hands were swords of steel. Their eyes fell on him and pierced him as they rushed towards him. Desperate, he drew his own sword, and it seemed to him that it flickered red as if it was a firebrand. Two, two of the figures halted. The third was taller than the others. His hair was long and gleaming, and on his helm was a crown. In one hand he held a long sword, and in the other a knife. Both the knife and the hand that held it glowed with a pale light. He sprang forward and bore down on Frodo. All right. Let's think about some of the things that we... uh, um, Some of the things that we can see here, some things that we can observe here. So one of the things that really strikes me about this, um, and we know in part it's hard to talk about, um, in part it's hard to talk about this passage without looking forward to what we're going to learn in chapter one of book two, right? Um, That is in the conversation between Frodo and Gandalf in Rivendell, where he's going to explain this stuff a little bit more, right? So I'm kind of... It's hard not to cheat, right? But let's try. Let's try not to cheat. I'm going to try not to cheat. Cheating would be using the vocabulary that we're not given yet in the text to this point, right? So for now, I'm going to try not to cheat. Here's what we see, right? We know that uh, Frodo is being corrupted by the ring. We know that when uh, he... that there's a connection between the wearer of the one ring and the wraiths, right? That there's something, I mean, we, you know, talked about wraithification for a long time now, right? We know there's something like a spectrum between, you know, an otherwise healthy and wholesome hobbit who occasionally puts on the ring of power, right? And the ring wraiths. Um, That the ring wraiths are the end goal towards which Bilbo was being moved along, Right, um, in his being thin and stretched, and which, and even, and you know, the first steps uh, of the path down which Frodo has already gone. Um, so, okay, um, what? Um, so, what does this show us? 
as soon as he puts on the ring, he can see them, right? So we get this, uh, yeah, fourth Dauntless, uh, Gollum is further down, uh, this continuum than Bilbo is. Um, the explanation, Gandalf's explanation as to why he hasn't faded, right? Why he's not more wraithly, um, why has he, why he has not been more wraithified in person, right? Than he has been is that for a long time, he wasn't wearing the ring. He was being influenced and it. it was preying on his mind. He was being corrupted by it, but he didn't wear it that often. And thus, therefore didn't fade. And that's Gandalf's explanation, right? Maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. Who knows exactly the mechanics of that? Um, but, um, yeah, Karita, I agree with you. It's a remarkable thing that Tolkien does in this passage, isn't it? Karita's pointing out how just seeing the ringwraiths in their empty cloaks, right, with just black shadows within is really creepy and really terrifying in the previous scene. And then we see inside and, you know, you'd think that maybe if we could actually see what it was inside the shadow that it would be less creepy, right, or less scary. And she's like, no, no, it's it's still just as scary when we see what's inside, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Okay, so the thing that's obvious, right, is that he can now see them. Remember Strider's explanations that we've already gotten, right? We can't see them. They, they're not in the, our normal world in the same way, right? They can smell us. They can't see us. It's in this conversation that he just had um, answering Mary's question about, like, can they see us? Like, he told us to duck down as if they could look up and see us, but they seem to have sniffed before, right? What's going on? And he says that, you know, they don't interact with our world in the normal way, right? Well, now, obviously, um, Frodo is interacting with them in a different way. Um, this is the first time that we see more, most clearly, because this has never happened before. He has never been wearing the ring while in company with one of the ringwraiths, right? It almost happened before, but it never actually happened before. Um, and what we can see is that they, um, they become visible to him, right? Um, in their white faces burned keen and merciless eyes, right? So just process that for a second. Um, they're not skeletal. They're not zombies, right? Um, they have faces and eyes, which you can tell the expression of. They're men. You can see that they're men. Um, you can tell, like, presumably they all had, like, you could, you could, had Frodo known them in life, he could identify them now, right? Improbable though it is that Frodo would have known them in life. Um, but that is to say, they, they, these are clearly, they're, they're not spectral in appearance, right? Um, their faces are described as, as being white, and I assume that doesn't mean Caucasian. I assume that that means pallid, right? Ghostly, in hue, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, Marianne, exactly. They are as real in their world as Frodo and the others uh, uh, are, in, are, are in theirs, yes. Uh, Frodo is seeing them and presumably interacting with them in a very, in a very similar way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Matt, I agree. That line, right? Their eyes fell on him as a hunter falls upon the eyes of a hunter falls upon its prey, right? More, uh, more significant. This is unusual, uh, for them as well as for Frodo. Yes. Like he's suddenly there and they can see, he can see them, right? But they can see him 
too. They've never seen him before. They've never seen a hobbit before in their lives, right? Or their unlives or whatever the wraithly existence they, they have. All of a sudden, that he's visible to them now too, right? Um, so I love that, you know, Matt, it's really easy to miss that, right? Their eyes fell on him and pierced him. You can just make that, it just, it could just sound like, and then they looked at him, right? Or then they saw, you know, but that idea of like, all of a sudden, like their eyes snap to him. Um, uh, and because for the first time they are able, uh, to see, uh, to see him. And that's, that's such a big deal. Um, yeah, Finn, that is really interesting. Finn says last time they saw anyone with a ring on, uh, it was Sauron, uh, you know, so they must've been a shock to them. And I would think especially all of them who are not the witch king, right? The other four, if it's, if, if we're right, or if I'm right, I shouldn't necessarily include you because you might not agree with me. Um, if I'm right, that it is primarily the command of the witch king that is, uh, leading that, 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 that gets Frodo to put the ring on. He's probably not surprised. This is what he was looking for, right? You know, he was anticipating probably this result, Right for Frodo to enter into their world uh, completely and become a shadow, like they are shadows, um, and therefore concrete and real to them in their world. But the other four probably taken aback, and yeah, I gotta think a little bit surprised here. Um, yeah, yeah. It, Erechab, exactly. I would really emphasize that. They appear to be very old, haggard men, but human, nevertheless. Not quite like the eldritch horrors uh, of the film. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, not like that at all. Um, yes. Um, uh, we're getting to the halting of the wraiths. Hang on. Let's give us a minute here. Let's focus on the on the, on the, on the, the side of them first. Okay. Um... Their white faces burned keen and merciless eyes. So again, you get the expression in their eyes, and it is both keen and merciless. Let's think about those for a second. Merciless, okay, that seems pretty clear, right? Um, they, they're, they're, they're mean, right? It's not surprising to hear that they're mean and not planning to have any mercy on Frodo. Um, keen is an interesting word. Um, keen means, I think, the opposite, right, of... Um, Keen is the opposite of... So, again, these are not zombies, right? If you're imagining, like, a vacant expression, you know, and them being, like, brains, right? That's that's exactly the opposite of that, right? Their eyes are keen and sharp. Um, they're smart, right? Uh, they are... Uh, um, uh, there burns a, 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 a strong intelligence behind their eyes, right? That's what I take from the word, uh, from the word keen. Um, under their mantles were long gray robes. Upon their gray hairs were helms of silver. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Austin was asking why would they have never seen a hobbit? Because... Um, uh, with the Barrow Downs being so near. Um, well, again, Witch King clearly has access to a little bit more information than everybody else. He is clearly on a slightly different level uh, from the other garden variety ring wraiths. Um, and it's true, oops, sorry. It is true that he um, uh, was responsible for the, um, uh, for the, 
Barrow Downs, right, for the evil spirits that are sent into the into the Barrow Downs, as we talked about. I'm not saying he's ignorant of hobbits, um, but he's been a ringwraith for a really long time. Uh, he may well have interacted with hobbits before, but has there ever been a hobbit wraith? We have no evidence that there's ever been a hobbit wraith, or that any hobbit wearing the Ring of Power has ever done so in front of the ringwraiths, right? Um, had they interrogated Gollum when he came to Mordor? Sure, but he wasn't a wraith, right? The Witch King wouldn't have been able to see him again. Remember, the Witch King lives in that shadow world, right? Just as the ringwraiths to the hobbits were shadows covered by cloaks. Um, the, 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 the hobbits, the, there are three other hobbits right there in the dell, but they can't see them, right? They can smell them, right? And they can sense their presence uh, uh, and sense their blood, but they, they, they can't see Just as Frodo, or yeah, just as Frodo is seeing their face and eyes and facial expressions here for the first time, I don't see any reason to think, based on what Strider has already told us, I don't see any reason to think that they're not seeing him in that way for the first time. Even Gollum would have been a presence, right? He would have known, he would have spoken to Gollum, right? The Witch King was almost certainly there for the interview process with Gollum, right? But he but he couldn't see him because he's not a wraith, right? Um yeah, yeah. So um yeah, good. Um yeah, Karita's pointing out that the the grayness, right? Um Oh yeah, two really cool comments about the grayness. Valori uh, th- likes to think of the, the the clothes as they're described here, the gray robes, um, for instance, not as necessarily being dyed gray, but being gray due to age. Right? They've just fuck all the color has faded uh, from them. Um, that that's really interesting. And Karita points out that you can't help but notice that the 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 gray robes, yep, they look kind of. Uh, as she says, like nightmare versions of Gandalf, right? Um, especially remember in this context, right, Karita? I mean, what drew, what part of what drew Aragorn to Weathertop here was figuring out like Gandalf confronted them. And so, you know, the whole pairing of Gandalf and the Ringwraiths here, um, the sort of squaring off of Gandalf and the Ringwraiths has been, again, part of the reason why they're there, right? So the, the fact that like, oh, and look, they're all wearing gray robes as well. Uh, that is a connection that's, uh, that's kind of hard to, um, hard to, uh, avoid. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, great point. Matt says the ring rates are kind of like, uh, Smaug, right? Uh, who has smelled Hobbit smell, but has never seen one, right? And never does. Smaug never sees a Hobbit. He's a, Smaug goes to his watery grave not knowing what a Hobbit looks like, right? Um, as would the Ringwraiths have gone, you know, uh, to their wraithly uh, graves without uh, ever knowing what a Hobbit looked like had it not been for this moment, and four of them presumably um, always will. No, they'll be able to see Frodo, too, at the Ford. So all nine of them will be able to see a Hobbit. Um, yeah, but yeah, and uh, do- uh, evil Doctor Cannon. Yeah, it is interesting given that the 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 Witch King especially started off as kind of a, a, a corrupted version, right? Not corrupted version of Gandalf personally, but of Gandalf's order, right? You know, an evil wizard. Um, uh, the the definitely very much the sort of opposite number uh, of Gandalf. Um, very much, yeah. 
Yeah, good. Rothgar, I agree, no mention of their eyebrow length. I like to think that that means that their eyebrows are probably very thin, wispy, and, p- and pitiful uh, as a reflection of the, you know, the corruption of their flesh and the deflation of their spirit over time. Uh, you know, only those who are still full of life and power and energy can have uh, the kind of lush and lengthy eyebrows that Gandalf has. I think that's, that's pretty obvious, right? So, um, uh, no question there. Um, yeah, good. Um, okay, so haggard hands, swords of steel, gray hairs, haggard hands. I agree with, I think it was Erocheb who was emphasizing, they, they clearly look like old men, right? These are not, these don't, these are not hail warriors in the fullness of their strength, uh, changed into wraiths, right? These are people who are, who are withered, who are shrunken, kind of like Gollum has withered in, not exactly the same way, but kind of how Gollum has withered and shrunken. Certainly, um, we are, we, what we are seeing here are people whose butter has been spread very, very thin indeed, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, but let's get to their movements, because y'all really want to talk about their movements, so let's get there. Um, their eyes, no, it's not. Their eyes fell on him and pierced him as they rushed towards him. So what does that mean? Their eyes fell on him and pierced him. So we have uh, Matt's great comment on their eyes fell on him, which I really love. Like they Suddenly they look at him, right? Frodo is now not only seeing them, but Frodo is making eye contact with ring rays. That has got to be absolutely terrifying, right? Suddenly their faces wink into view and you're looking straight into their keen and merciless eyes, right? Uh, that's got to be, that's got to be bad. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Ooh, Kate, sorry, Katriana, great point. Um, upon their gray hairs, the pluralization of hair there does make it sound like their hair's really wispy. Right, like they, you know, they they don't have gray hair, which could be a nice, robust head of gray hair, like Theoden's hair. His is white, not gray. But anyway, right, it could be like that, right? Um, but saying their hairs, right, makes it sound like I get they they're so ancient looking that you know their hair is merely wisps, like you might see on a desiccated corpse, right? Um, or at least like you might see on desiccated corpses in Hollywood movies anyhow. Um, They have Homer Simpson hair, fourth thoughtless. Exactly right. So their eyebrows are nothing like Lee Pace's eyebrows, and their hair is like Homer Simpson's. I hope that this enriches your sense, uh, your visual image of what the ring rates really look like. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, Okay, cool. So... Their eyes fall on him and, uh, and pierced him. That image of a piercing gaze, that's a, that's, a, that's a popular Tolkien phrase. Tolkien likes to talk about piercing eyes, right? That seems to me, if I understand that correctly, note, and I'm not sure I do, but if I understand that correctly, I take that to be primarily a description not of the gaze itself, but of the experience of receiving the gaze, right? That, like, when he says that they turn their piercing gaze upon him, what he means is Frodo, uh, uh, seeing them staring at him, right? Frodo feels like they are piercing him, right? Like, they're, they're, like their eyes are piercing him. 
that's how I generally have read that. But like I said, I'm not 100% sure that that's true. Um, because there is precedent, um, strong precedent, elsewhere in the book. Um, there are other places where Tolkien talks about a piercing gaze actually piercing things, right? That is where he will use a metaphorical structure which implies that sight is a thing which is emerging from the eyes of the seer, right? Um, and either, like, you know, being repelled by or piercing through uh, a shroud or a cloud or a, uh, a veil um, or something like that. We certainly get that with the eye of Sauron um, explicitly, in particular, uh, in Galadriel's mirror, of course. Um, so... Uh, yeah, exactly. Metaphors are just saying they look right through you, like a rapier goes through you. Yes, exactly. That that's uh, that's how I've always read it. Again, is that 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 like Frodo feels like he's like when they look at him, he feels like he's been stabbed right by their eyes. Um, but Gladys Rabbit, exactly. It's as if I send out beams. And here's the thing: that's exactly how they talked about vision in the Middle Ages. Um, uh, the idea that we have, like the way that we talk about sight as of light bouncing off things and entering into our eyes, which are passive, that's a modern conception. And you'll notice, by the way, none of our language about sight, um, that is our common expressions about sight, reflect that. Um, what do you do when you go to a window? What do you do at the window? Do you go to the window, open the window and allow the light from outside to come into your eyes? No, you go to the window and you look out the window. Right? We still say that. We still talk that way. Um, so um, that's, that's uh, almost never do we actually use metaphorical language which reflects our modern scientific understanding of what vision is, is totally like. Right? Sometimes, occasionally we will. We'll talk about something like taking in a view. Right? Sometimes we'll talk like that. Um, but usually not, right? More commonly, we're talking about looking out, um, you know, even even thinking when somebody says, like, look over there, right? And you're pointing, there's still the sense of, like, I'm going to cast my eyes in that direction, right? Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna project my vision over there. Um, um, and yeah, Marianne, exactly. Even the Romantic poets talk about eye beams, right? That was a very common thing. Gollum, of course, is in some ways an exaggeration of this, idea, right? Um, uh, anyway, yeah, so this, you can see all the way through the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, this was very standard, like the, the thinking of the eyes as beacons, right? Um, not as receptors, but as beacons, uh, which send sight out, um, which, and that sight can be obscured by things, right? Um, that's absolutely how, the, and again, our language, our, 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 our usage still reflects that way of thinking about sight. Um, but, um, anyhow, um, so, um, yeah, 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 I agree, Matt, even the taking in of you is, is not really a sight metaphor, like, and it's not really about your eyes, exactly, it's more about the, uh, drinking it in, right, as Matt says, like Tintern Abbey, right, uh, uh, like Wordsworth would have taken in a landscape, uh, rather than actually it being a metaphor about what's happening with your eyes. Um, uh, anyway, so, um, uh, yeah, um, 
Uh, Rinrus, yeah, like, when did we start figuring out about how eyes really work? Oh, like, a while back. But yeah, a lot of those those expressions have been around a long time. My point is merely that we don't have any new ones, right? We've had hundreds of years to work on this, right? And yet we still don't use that metaphor. Uh, and th- we still don't use metaphors that reflect our modern scientific understanding. Therefore, I think it's kind of interesting, right? Um, it is as if the old ways of talking still make more sense to us, right? We may n- It's one thing to say that I know that my eyes are passive receptors of light, right? I can know that, fine. But who feels that way, right? I mean, you don't, again, you, you, you know, like, hang on, I need to let some light into my eyes uh, through this window. No, you look out the window, right? It feels like you're looking out. You feel like you're projecting your vision uh, in places. Um, anyway, it's, it's, there's something about the experience that I think is reflected, you know, is it, like, that fits the old language better than the new language. Um, uh which I think is kind of interesting. But that's a question for another time. The point is, that old version, that old uh, concept of sight, um, uh, that that concept of sight, uh, of like eyes projecting forth something that can pierce through and perceive something that is being concealed, is habitually used in Tolkien. Um, as uh, Oakwig talks about, Manway's eyes piercing all shadows. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the, 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 uh, the eye of Sauron is going to be seeking uh, to uh, uh, pierce through all of the barriers that stand between him and Frodo, right? Um, when he sees it in the mirror of Galadriel. Um, that's exactly... So, again, when I'm coming... So, when I come back to their eyes fell on him and pierced him, uh, I always have tr- read this as an expression, again, of Frodo's experience, right? Of their eyes... Uh, falling on him. But I'm not sure now um, if there is not, in fact, this is not, in fact, some kind of objective description of something else, right? That they have pierced him in a different sense. Their eyes pierce him now that he's there, now that they can see him. They do not merely have a sort of a superficial, it's not just like, oh, always wonder what a hobbit looked like, right? They pierce their eyes pierce right through him. They see there is no veil, right, between Frodo and them. And they can, their eyes can pierce through and penetrate. They, 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 they see him. They know him. Um, there's this sense of almost a violation, right, of like he is, he is naked before them. They, like, you know, there's, he can't hide anything. He can't, um, so I think that like hit their eyes pierced him might be a kind of a bigger deal than expressing how sharp their gaze is and how he feels when they look at him. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. Okay, um, let me, let me, let's, let's carry on here. That was a lot on one word. But it's okay! That's good. That's what we're here for, right? Um, as they rushed towards him, desperate he drew his own sword, and it seemed to him that it flickered red, as if it was a firebrand. All right. Um, uh, 
he is seeing his own sword, and when he sees his own sword while wearing the ring, it looks different, right? It is as if his own sword is burning. His own sword is not burning with actual fire, but we already have reason to believe that there, that his sword is, to use that crude word which the hobbits sometimes use, a magic sword, right? It's not a magic sword in the same way that Sting is a magic sword, but it's magic in a different way, because it's made by a different person with a different intention, right? Why does... What is Sting? Why why does Sting... Why do Sting and Glamdring do what they do? Why do Sting and Glamdring do what they do? Why do they glitter with a blue light when they're near orcs? See, again, our own... Um, our own... Any tendencies you have towards uh, role-playing game thinking, right, is gonna is gonna mislead you here, right? Um, they're elf-made, yes. So what does that mean exactly? Does this mean that the elves said, "Hey, um, making these proximity detectors for orcs would be super handy. Let us uh, let us give them a." a proximity detector property, right? Again, like it's a legend, like a particular legendary property, you know, if you're crafting a magic weapon in Dungeons and Dragons, right, you can like, I'm, I'm going to make it a plus two sword and I'm going to make it glow in the presence of, of goblins and I'm going to make, you know, I'm going I'm, to, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it, you know, have vorpal properties, right? Is, is that how it worked? No, that's not how it worked, right? It's forged in Gondolin, and for Thalys, it really kind of is as simple as that, right? It's forged by a smith who hated orcs. And so the swords, reflecting the will and spirit of their maker, right, glow with an angry blue f- uh, flame when orcs are near, right? Um, it's like, it's sponta- it's, it is the spontaneous reaction of the sword uh, to the goblins because that is the spirit that was infused in it by the person who made it, right? Um, that's how it works, right? The Barrow Sword is also a magic sword. Similarly, a magic sword, right? It has the uh, sort of expression of the spirit of the one who made it invested in it. But who made it? The Dunedain. Right? Specifically, the Dunedain who are fighting against Angmar, probably the Dunedain of Cardolan, right? Uh, the, the, you know, one of those three houses of the Dunedain, um, made these swords and designed them for the war with Angmar uh, in general and the Witch King in particular, right? Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. So that's what they. Uh, so what do they do, right? They don't glow, right? You can't you can't use them. They do not. Oakwig, in fact, have wraith dar, uh, <laughs> right? They don't work like that. Um, it might be handy, but again, that's not their property, right? And yet, clearly, they do have a property. When Frodo is looking at them through wraith eyes, right? His own sword seems to shine red, which it is not normally shining red, right? This and I do. I think that we're missing the point if we're imagining Frodo's sword suddenly blazing with fire. Right? No, it doesn't. The other hobbits around are not going to see his sword growing, glowing red. The red glow is what he can see because he is in the wraith 
world, right? Because he is uh, there with um, uh, with the wraiths. So, um, yeah, and uh, going back to um, the, uh, Matt was saying, Sting, Glam, during an orchestra, partake of starlight and moonlight in the way that the smith who wanted to kill uh, the Witch King channeled the fire that the Witch King doesn't like. Remember that uh, um, Sauron uh, can put fire to his evil uses, uh, um, but these riders do not love it? Yeah, exactly. So apparently, um, the fire which the wraiths do not love, right, was one of the things that the smith was thinking about, right, um, when uh, uh, when he was making it. And that's why it flickers red. It's not just red, right? It looks like he can see, like, the spirit of flame inside this sword, right, um, from a wraithly perspective, <laughs> right? Um uh, Arden Crayon was just asking on Twitter, uh, did Tom Bombadil know more than he was letting on about these swords? Yep, I gotta think so. I, does, is, it, does Tom Bombadil not know this? Please, come on. Tom Bombadil knows this, right? I am sure that Tom Bombadil knew exactly what he was doing uh, when he gave these swords to the hobbits. I have no questions uh, about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Exa- oh, I, I, trifle. I totally agree. Um, there absolutely is craft in making these weapons. Uh, that is, there are like spells involved. When I when I spoke slightingly of the word magic, I was just kind of channeling Galadriel. Um, it's not magic in this sense. Again, it's it. It's not a magic sword in exactly the same way that like an item in a video game or a role playing game is a magic sword, right? I mean, it's not like okay, so what are its properties? It's a you know plus three sword, uh, you know plus one sword, plus three against uh, you know uh, incorporeal creatures. Like, if you're thinking that way, you're thinking about it wrong, right? That's not how it works. But that's not to say that there is not magic in it, and that there were not spells involved uh, in its making. Absolutely, there were spells involved. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Milthalio asks, could the wraiths have seen the sword if Frodo hadn't put on the ring? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure of it. I am sure the wraiths can see their swords. I bet you that if you had... Remember how we got the description, right, from the Hobbit's point of view, as the shadows came over the edge of the dell, right, and and began to advance towards them? Um... If that whole scene were shown, were narrated from the ring wraith's point of view, that's absolutely what I would expect that we would see, right? Uh, we would see, they would see the fire, right, in the middle of the dell. They would see vague shadowy shapes where the hobbits were, but they would see their weapons. They would see their, their red flickering swords that they were holding out in front of them. Uh, and presumably the burning sticks, that they were also holding. So in other words, each hobbit holding the sword, their barrow sword in one hand and a burning stick in the other hand um, looks like it's he's carrying two flames, right? One of which would probably have been a little scarier than the other. So a vague, I don't know, probably smallish, shadowy shapes holding two flaming brands is doubtless what they would have seen until Frodo puts on his ring and now, snap, they can see him. Now what I really would like to know... What do they see then, right? How would the scene go on? I feel fairly confident that that's how the scene would have looked to them 
in advance, right? Because, um, again, it's not Frodo wearing the ring that does this to his sword. I, I feel pretty confident in that. It's the sword itself that is... It's Again, it's not the sword that's changed. It's Frodo that's changed. He now is seeing that thing that has always been true about his sword. He just hasn't been able to see it before, right? Um, however, I... I really wish, just like we get the description of the ringwraiths to Frodo, right, and how they look like really, really old men, I wonder what he looks like to them, right? Because I don't know. Does he look like himself? Maybe he does. Maybe he just looks like himself and they're seeing him as he... But maybe he would look different. And if he would look... Would they see a glimpse of him as he would become? Would he look like a wraith to them? That is, like, look like them. Would they be seeing, would they see some, like, ring-wraithified vision of him? I don't know, right? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I have no idea. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, Evil Dr. Cannon is wondering if Aragorn has the broken sword drawn and if it glows red. <sighs> Great question, Evil Dr. Cannon. Would the shards of Narsil glow. Um, uh, oh, and uh, in Sorcel, no, he absolutely has the broken sword. With the, Remember he draws it out in Bree and shows it to Sam. Not much good is it, Sam, right, he asks. Um, he's totally got the broken sword. We talked about this uh, a couple months ago, when, way back when we were doing Chapter 10, like ages ago, um, uh, because uh, uh, Tony, and Tony's not been here for several weeks, but uh, Tony was very concerned about the fact that Strider is running around without a decent primary weapon because his only weapon is a broken sword. And this really bothered Tony. Um, But, you know, um, uh, Evil Dr. Cannon, coming back to your question, it would be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? Um, Would the shards of Narsil have properties that would A, have an effect upon the ring wraiths and B, be visible to them. Kind of hard to imagine that it wouldn't, you know? Um, in which case, maybe that broken sword is more use in the wilderness than it sounds like, actually. Um, but uh, not really sure. Um, now, for Thalys, you're absolutely right. Narsil totally... It's, it was not made by one of the Numenorians, right? Like, it wouldn't look exactly the same because it was not, you know, wound about with spells for the overthrow of Angmar and Mordor, but um, it was instead made by a first-age dwarf. However, probably, uh, I, I would guess, made with the servants of um, the servants of Mordor, of, uh, not Mordor, of, of Melkor in mind, right? I don't know. But anyhow, um, it is a great thought question, but I don't really know. Um, uh, Blue Wizard is wondering what the ring looks like in their world, and would that also glow? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, can they see it? Yeah, I gotta think they can see it. Um, does it look like a wheel of fire like we get later on? Um, they've gotta be aware of it. I, I, I have to think so. It's, it's, once, Especially like when it's activated, right? When he's wearing it. Um, I, I can't help but think that they would be aware of it um yeah yeah um yeah um okay anyway two of the thing now we're, now we're getting to their movements you guys have been asking about this for for a long time we're finally getting to this here okay two of the figures halted so 
five, right? Five of them come to the edge of the dell. Two of them stay there, three advance, right? Uh, two standing on the lip of the dell, three advancing. Two of them stop, and only the Witch King advances. Okay, why? What are we seeing there? I think it's pretty clear what we're seeing there. Um, I, I, I think... I think only the Witch King has the guts uh, to go on. I mean, I, I really do. That's it, it seems to me as simple as that. I mean, look at the way that it gets... Um, look at the way that it gets emphasized. Look at the transition, right? He drew his own sword, and it seemed to him that it flickered red as if it was a firebrand. Two of the figures halted. That kind of seems like cause and effect to me. Dime, I think so too. I think they're afraid of Frodo's sword. Uh, remember, stand, you know, uh, 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 stand back to back, right? Pick up some pointed sticks. Remember, this is not a physical fight. I do not think, uh, Katriana, this is a flanking maneuver or anything of that kind. Again, this is not about battle tactics. There is no battle happening. No combat is going to occur, right? There's going to be an attack, but that's not the same thing exactly, right? They're not here to fight. Ringwraiths don't fight, right? They don't engage in combat. When you meet a ringwraith, you don't roll for initiative, right? That's just not how it works. This is a spiritual fight. From the beginning, it's been a spiritual fight. It has been being waged as a spiritual fight. When Aragorn says, stand back to back and, uh, you know, with the f- with fire in your hands, he's not saying, because, you know, again, like, with fire, you have a plus two to attack against. The- it's not about that, right? Because they're never going to fight. None of them ever fight. Uh, and again, this is one of the things that I dislike about the film adaptation. Again, I get why they did it. I don't blame them. Um, rendering the physical... Uh, the the spiritual fight as a physical fight makes sense in the film, but nevertheless, it is deeply untrue to exactly how it works. That is not how ringwraiths fight. Notice, notice another thing here. What does the ringwraiths do with his? What does the uh, what does the witch king do with his sword? Answer: Nothing. Nothing. He does nothing with his sword. Right. It's only the dagger that matters. I'm not even convinced he has a sword. <laughs> I don't know that it's even real. Uh, I mean, maybe it is, but um, if he dropped it, would it still be there? Like, I don't know that it is. What about his robes? Like, if you cut off a piece of his... And I don't mean the cloak. I don't mean the cloak, which is clearly a real cloak, right? He's wearing clearly wearing a normal cloak and normal boots, right, in order to give shape to his nothingness, um, as Strider says. Those are a disguise, Right? But the gray robes that they're wearing underneath those garments that Frodo can only see when he puts on the ring, are those real clothes? Right? Like, again, if Frodo were to slash a bit off of one, would it be lying there on the ground? You know, could Mary pick up a, a fragment of gray, of like a really ancient gray cloth that maybe would crumble away when he touches it and be like, this is part of the garment of the ring wraith? I don't know. Right? I don't think so. Um, Arden Crayon, is the crown real? I, is any of it real? Any of the stuff that Frodo can only see uh, because he's in the, you know, because he's because he's there, right? Because he's he's wearing the ring. Um, 
Uh, yeah, Boopo, exactly. It's kind of like the question, what do wraiths wear, wear under their kilts? Except the question is, like, are, are they even really wearing kilts, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, so, so, um, uh, yeah, so what, we'll come back to this. The scene I know that several of you are thinking, I know Erekeb is thinking about when the Witch King shows up in Minas Tirith, right? Um, Yes, but let's not forget, he's been upgraded. But that's Witch King 2.0, right? Um, we'll see, right? We'll see. I, I, we'll reserve things until we get there. Um, this is why it's a question. If it weren't for that, Eric, if it weren't for that scene, I would say no. I would not believe it at all. I would not be ready to believe that if he dropped his sword, there would be a sword there for anybody to find, right? Um, I don't think so. Um Maybe. I'm willing to entertain the possibility that it could be. Um, but, yeah, Trifle, I agree. The, we do need to define real. Um, is it... Does it share the same space with the um, with the hobbits and other material things? Right. Um, yeah. Um, Gallandar says, if the crown and robes aren't real, then they must be a projection of how the raids want to be seen or a memory of how they appeared before wraithification. Yeah. Essentially. Sure. Something like that. Um, uh, yeah. Could I know. I'm going to spend all night trying to define real. That's a big question, I know. But... Um, but no, it bears it bears thinking about. Um, here's another way to think of it. Could they attack the hobbits? Like so, there's Pippin standing right there, right? Could the is it even physically possible if the Witch King took that sword that's described here, right? In one hand he held a long sword, and in the other a knife, right? If he took that sword in his hand, right, and he lifted it up and he hacked through. Pippin's neck. Would Pippin be decapitated? That's my question. When I'm talking about real, that's what I mean by real. Right? Is it even a blade? Would it, could it in, in, affect the hobbits in that way? Are any of them in any danger of receiving a stab wound? I mean, Pippin, Mary, Sam, Aragorn. Could they be stabbed by the weapons, by the sword of the Witch King? I am not convinced that they could. I just, I am not really clear that it is that kind of weapon. That this is that, they are, that, it's, the attack is completely spiritual, right? This is why I think they are uh, scared by Frodo's sword. In part because, yes, this is a sword that is going to, like, if Frodo wielding this sword hits them, they're going to be damaged by it. We will see this is true of uh, the Witch King and his mighty knee, right? Later on, uh, when one of the partners of this sword um, is uh, uh, is going to be uh, um, hit by it, right? So we're going to get there, too. Um, so they, they, they have reason to be worried, right? If Frodo, wearing the ring or not, were to stick this Numenorean sword into one of their shadowy forms, it would damage them. Right, it would hurt them, and they know that. I think they know that. Um, 
But it's more than just that. Again, remember, this is a spiritual battle. How has Frodo responded to them? Remember, how was Frodo? How, how did Fatty Bulger respond to them? Fatty Bulger, Fatty Bulger gets like a B or a B minus, and like I know that sounds harsh, right? But remember what happened to Fatty Bulger, right? Fatty Bulger runs away, which is a good move, right? He gets a B because it's a it's a it's a solid passing grade by Fatty Bulger, right? Um, failing. A failing grade by Fatty Bulger in the test that he experienced at the hands of the Ringwraiths would have been collapsing onto the ground in a pile of quivering jelly until the Ringwraiths came in. Right? That was their goal. That was like their plan. He resisted their plan and left. But you'll remember he ends up a pile of quivering jelly on somebody else's doorstep just down the road. And not only that, but spewing out things which fortunately they didn't understand or he would have given away the secrets that he was supposed to be protecting. Right? Um, so uh, Fatty Bulger does really well. He passes the test, but he doesn't get an A, right? Frodo gets an A, almost. Not on the resisting the temptation to put on the ring thing. He failed that, or rather resisting the compulsion to put on the ring, uh, following the distinction we made last time. However, his response to the fear, the spiritual assault of the ringwraiths is pretty good. His response is not to run away, not to cower and kneel and put his head in his hands, right? Not to submit to them, you know, not just to stand there and go tharn and allow them to take him, right? Um, he, his reaction is to draw his sword. Um, and that's a big deal. If we get there, right, at the beginning of the next chapter, Aragorn is going to make uh, is going to make a big deal out of it, right? That Frodo resisted. Um, so the mere fact that his response to their attack is to draw his own sword means that he is fighting them, right? That's getting an A. Just standing there and drawing your sword to resist them is getting an A when you're being attacked by the ringwraiths, right? You know, the A plus is to... Uh, say, you know, but no living man am I, and stab it in the face, but, or come up behind it and stab it in the back of the knee. Both of those are A-plus grades. But Frodo is getting like an A-minus here um, in drawing his sword. And I think that what we're seeing when they stop, you can say they're afraid of his sword, and I think that that's true, but I think you can also say Frodo is fighting back, right? They are attacking him spiritually. He is responding spiritually just by standing there and drawing his sword, just as telling the story of, um, just as telling the story of Baron and Luthien and listening to and being absorbed in the story of Baron and Luthien was also fighting back against the Ringwraiths, right? That was a defensive maneuver in this spiritual conflict. Um, again, just as standing back to back and drawing your weapons and standing there ready, that's fighting, it's not preparing to fight. It's fighting, right? You see the difference uh, that I'm uh, that I, that I'm making there. Kirit <laughs> is saying I'm, I'm I'm being just like a teacher, <laughs> giving letter grades for wraith attack responses. Oh well, it's a clumsy metaphorical structure, but it'll work, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but. Um, yeah. Okay. So, 
Two figures halted. The two that are standing at the edge of the dell. Why did they, now them with them? It's less clear. Um, the way it sounds before Frodo reacts at all, um, uh, he sees two standing at the whip of the dell, three advancing. Like in the moment he turns on the ring, the three of them are already advancing, and the two of them are already standing there. Right. Um, so these are the 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 positions they have taken and the motions they have undertaken. Um, despite uh like which have nothing to do with frodo turning on the ring right the two stopping and the ring and the witch king advancing uh clearly has something to do with frodo's appearance and resistance right um so the question then the two that are standing on the whip of the dell is that tactical or are they two like of the five that were meant to be attacking together, have two of them already dropped back? Do two of do two of them fail to enter the dell? Remember, remember what it's like on on the way. Aragorn has hinted that the experience, the interaction between living humans and um, the ringwraiths has some symmetry to it, right? We can sense their presence. When they're near, it troubles our hearts, right? We can sense when they're near, they can sense us too, right? They feel our presence more strongly than we feel theirs, right? So it's not exactly symmetrical, it's not equal, but it's symmetrical in the sense of they sense us, we sense them, right? Well... As you get closer to the ringwraiths, the experience becomes more intense, right? Um, the, uh, the, the experience, the fear intensifies as they, uh, as they, um, the, yeah, the, the, the experience intensifies as they, as they approach you, right? Or, or as you approach them, I, Proximity matters, right? Proximity clearly matters. The lip of the dell. There's something thresholdish about that. I want to say. Um, there's something thresholdish about that. The dell, this dell under Weathertop, by building a fire there by telling the story of Baron and Luthien there, by standing there back-to-back with their weapons drawn, they are defending, spiritually, defending the Dell under Weathertop. I am wondering if two out of the five of them have not simply failed to cross that threshold. If they... um, uh, If they are... So just like two of them don't have the gumption to enter the dell. Just as some, like, you know, Sam saying, I doesn't go outside this dell for any money, right? I wonder if two of the ringwraiths have said to the witch king, I doesn't enter that dell for any money, right? Because again, because of that symmetry and because just as they are conducting their spiritual attack, so Aragorn and the hobbits are wielding a spiritual defense, from within the dell, right? I, um, uh, Lincoln, exactly, yes. The ring rates have failed their will saves. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. Um, I don't think, I don't think it's tactical. I no, I'll be stronger than that. I flatly reject the idea that it is merely tactical. That they're like flanking the opponent, or that they're there, like in case the hobbits make a break for it in the other direction. Because remember, if the hobbits run away, if Frodo turns and runs away, he's not getting away. Right? That's that's what losing looks like. If you turn and run away from the ringwraiths, you've lost. Right? You have given in to the fear. They control you now. They own you now. You're not getting away. There's If they turn and run in terror, there's a 0% chance of escape. Because that means that's that's what losing looks like. Right? So I absolutely do not believe that there is any sort of practical, tactical reason for them to remain outside the Dell. Especially since we have lots of reasons to think. There's much evidence in the text to suggest that the more ring rates are there together acting as a unit, the stronger they are. So I, I two of them being left behind, that's not, like, prudent on their part. That would be dumb on their part, because that weakens them. The three that do go into the Dell are going to be weaker because they've left two behind, right? Again, it's clear that being together matters, right? So I, 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 I reject the idea that it's a tactical decision on their part. Um, could it be something else? Could it be, uh, you know... Uh, sort of something more obscure, not something in the term, like battle tactics, but, um, uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah. But see, Harneth, again, like, comparing what they're doing to an infantry maneuver to cover their flanks is to imagine them engaging in some kind of physical combat. You only have to protect your, your flank if you're actually going to get attacked, no one's going to attack them. I mean, even Aragorn is only waving sticks of fire at them. I, there's not, there's not really an attack going on here. Um, uh, so I just, I don't, um, uh, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Hrothgar, I'm thinking that too. I think I'm being influenced by remembering that as well. Hrothgar is recalling um, in one of the early drafts of um, of the Fellowship of the Ring when Gandalf's when Saruman hadn't yet been invented, and therefore the reason for Gandalf's delay uh, was still it was it was going to be the Ringwraiths. I mean, like they were the really the remember how uh, Strider is going to tell them that like. You know, he knows of very little else that could uh, 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 delay him, right? Um, no, in fact, he already said that in Brie, didn't he? Um, well, like, in the drafts, that was totally true, right? Like, it was, in fact, the Ringwraiths. And Hrothgar is recalling, in fact, so Gandalf, in, in, in the old draft, Gandalf fled up a tower. Gandalf was always in prison on top of a tower. It just wasn't Saruman's tower. So there was the tower, the tower off by the shore. In fact, the tower by the by the by the coast, um, by the beach that Frodo sees in his dream, right, was originally a vision, a, a current events dream, of uh, Gandalf being imprisoned in the tower and besieged by ringwraiths, who exactly as Hrothgar is recalling, were standing in a ring around him because they they, they didn't dare to come closer. They couldn't enter the tower. Uh, and take Gandalf or destroy Gandalf, as long as he was there in the tower and, like, defending himself, they couldn't take him, but they could hold him there, 
by surrounding the tower um, and forming a perimeter, um, but they wouldn't couldn't go in, right? I think I'll be honest. I think a lot of you are making a mistake. You're making a mistake, and the mistake that I would say, in my opinion, that I think many of you are making is you're still thinking of the ring rates as if they were people, physical people. They're not people anymore, and it seems pretty clear that they operate under some different rules now. Now that their rates, for instance, running water is a problem for them. They don't like crossing running water. Running water is a challenge for them. In a way that, and we're not just talking about they. It's not just that they need to take swimming lessons at the Y in order to rectify this problem, right? This is a spiritual issue. Um, again, there, uh, uh, Frodo and his companions are f- not fighting against flesh and blood here, and. Any of the kind of thinking, so any time I am skeptical, uh, I am flatly skeptical of any kind of thinking about any kind of explanation of what the ring raids do that is based upon thinking about them as if they were flesh and blood or utilizing flesh and blood mechanisms. Um, uh, so, uh, those of you who are suggesting, let's see. Um, uh, <laughs> Oakwig says that they, uh, those two that stayed outside, if they got in, they would pay double to be let out again. Yeah, maybe so. Um, see, yeah, Harneth, ad- addressing your concern about uh, yeah, having a hard time accepting that that the nine would be as timid as that. See, it's not just about timidity. Again, that's even that I think is imagining them to be flesh and blood, blood creatures who have full control of their own wills. Right? They don't have full controls of their own wills. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, who was, uh, yeah, Tiber says problems with running water is a vampire thing too. Glad you brought that up, Tiber. Um, it's, I, I, I would make some comparisons there. I don't want to go too far with that because I'm not saying that I think that Tolkien is very explicitly drawing upon Bram Stoker's Dracula, which he certainly knew, or or, or about uh, vampire lore or anything like that. I, when I say he certainly knew, do I know for a fact that he read Dracula? No. But, I mean, it was an enormously famous book that uh, had, you know, was enjoying its high times of uh, I- initial popularity during Tolkien's like teens and twenties. He he knew about it, right? There's no question whether he'd read it or not. But anyway, the point is, I- I'm not trying to make a detailed uh, comparison there. What I mean is simply, like with vampires, right? Dracula. It's not that like he doesn't like to go into a house where he's not invited, right? It's not that he, you know, I. Uh, dislikes crossing running water he can't he physically can't like it is he's incapable by the nature of the being that he now is it is impossible for him to do this right he is now constrained by certain rules and we don't know why he is they're not all explained right and that seems to me true of the ring wraiths as well. And certainly their aversion to running water sounds like that. Again, I'm not saying it's the same. I'm not saying they are vampires. I'm not saying that Tolkien was modeling this after Dracula or directly influenced by Bram Stoker or any of those things. I'm just saying it seems to me the same kind of category of thing, right? So I am not... um, I am not convinced. Yeah, Valori, that's a great comparison. Valori says, it's like today, you might not ever have read the Spider-Man comics, but you know about Spider-Man, right? Um, exactly, exactly. Anyway, okay. 
So, um, I the ring rates. So when I say the ring rates are like are spiritual beings that they don't. When I say they're not flesh and blood, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. They operate under different. I there, there's evidence that they operate under just different rules than flesh and blood creatures do. For instance, just to cite a silly example, but I think a relevant example, they don't eat, right? They no longer, they don't have physical bodies that they need to sustain, right? They don't eat or drink. No reason to think that they eat or drink or consume anything, right? Um, they don't operate under the same rules. There are also presumably, apparently, restrictions that they experience, for whatever reason, I don't know, and to whatever extent, I'm not completely sure. Running water seems to be one of those things, right? Um, so, when we're talking about them not entering the Dell, I don't think this is a like. I kind of want to, but I'm scared to do so. Like, I, it's again, they're not reacting. Like, it's not like I could if I had the gumption, but I lack the gumption, right? So I'm gonna wimp out here. I don't think that that's necessarily it, right? Uh, some of them can, some of them can't. Uh, now, gumption. When it comes to gumption, I do think the two of them who stop when Frodo draws his sword. I think there is a certain amount of gumption issue going on there, um, and that the Witch King is more confident and more powerful. Um, but um, anyway, I, I, I do think that uh, uh, I think it's important when we're thinking not only about this scene but about the all of book 1 right all of book 1 where the black riders are the bad guys right i think it's really important to kind of school ourselves to open our minds in this way to resist oversimplistic flesh and blood thinking right about um uh about the the ring wraiths um, cuz if we're thinking about them and which is why again it's important to realize that it's not the ringwraiths that break into the prancing pony and slash up the bolsters, right? There is a 0% chance that the Witch King would slash a bolster. As I said before, I'm not even sure that the Witch King could slash a bolster. If the Witch King stabbed down into pillows and bolsters with his sword, would feathers fly? Again, I don't know that they would. Um... Uh, I'm not really, I'm not really sure about that. Yeah, Arden Cran suggests that if they were merely reluctant, um, the you know the Witch King might have poked them in the back to prod them along. We know that Sauron does that kind of thing, right? That he his will spurs his uh, servants and slaves on, right? So that kind of thing is possible. Um, I uh, um, I wonder, I wonder if that is not in fact what's happening here. Um, the previous slide that we talked about for a lot of time last week here. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself for spending almost the entire class on I said we had two slides and I'm spending like the whole class on one slide we're totally getting to the second slide by the way um, anyway um, uh, the um, because of the um, the the way in which the Witch King's will is beating against Frodo's will in commanding him to put on the sword, 
I am tempted, I'm not saying I'm 100% sure that this is right, but I am tempted to see this scene ultimately as the battle of two wills. Frodo's on the one hand and the Witch King's on the other hand. Well, Frodo's got some help. Now, the Witch King has some help too, but it's different. Um, The hobbits are to stand back to back because they can get literally moral support, spiritual support from each other, right? The feeling of your companion at your back also standing and defending you, right, will bolster, so to speak, your spirits, right? That will increase your spiritual power, right? That knowledge. I don't believe, in fact, I believe quite firmly, the ring wraiths don't operate like that, right? Um, they don't feel more encouraged because there are other ring wraiths there. Uh, their strength is increased in numbers, but not, I think, like that. Um, uh, that I feel, that I feel pretty clear. Um, Frodo has help in ways that I don't think the Witch King has help. Exactly. He has minions there. The other ring rates are his minions. There seems to be a pretty big drop off. Uh, the Witch King, um, the Witch King seems to be on a, on a very different level than the other Nazgul. I mean, they're definitely an eight in one group, I think. Um, the the other eight ring wraiths I think are pretty definitively the backup band. Um, they're the they're the they're the they're the chorus. You know they're the um, they're the backup dancers. You know uh, to the witch king's primary act. There. I, I mean I think that's um, I feel pretty confident in that too. Actually, it's not to say that they're nothing, right? I'm not saying that, but when he's there, they are his minions. That's kind of how it works, right? I mean, like, among evil creatures, right? You don't have friends. You have minions. You have minions and you have masters. And the only question is which one you are, right, in any particular gathering. Um, That's kind of what it means. Uh, You know, being a bad guy in Tolkien's world. Uh, (laughs) Bricktail says he's Josie and the other eight are the pussycats. You know, uh, kind of telling in this particular moment, isn't it? But anyway, yeah. Um, So, okay. So, back to what I was saying before. I'm tempted to see the central drama of this scene being Frodo versus the Witch King, right? Therefore, the two wraiths that stay outside, who failed? Did they fail? Or did he fail? Right? And I'm thinking he did. Or fail, strong word. Um, He's trying to bring all five of them into the Dell with him. Right? That, I think, is probably his plan. Again, I, 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 I reject any idea of a, tact, a purely tactical advantage of them remaining outside. Um, they're coming in together. They appear on the whip of the, de- the Dell together, and they march in, to get, except two of them don't march, right? So I'm imagining this as the Witch King ordering his minions, come, let us take the Hobbit, right? Um, and, to, and it fails, Two of them. Fail. So, Arden Crayon, I think it was you, Arden Crayon, on Twitter, who uh, inspired this with um, uh, uh, your question about, or your comment that the Witch King would be like poking them in the back to come in. My point is, I think he was poking them in the back, right? Um, the fact that they didn't come represents 
the success of Aragorn and the other hobbits resistance. Like the, his will was insufficient when met with their wills in resisting him. All five of them. It is five on five, remember, right? So they're winning, right? By the fact the fact that two of them can't come in, despite the fact that I feel pretty sure the Witch King is commanding them to come, they fail to come, right? Not because they're losers, but because the good guys are winning. That's what winning looks like, right? His will is insufficient to overcome their own wills um, in, uh, in response. Oh, yeah, sorry. Here. Come on, Arnie, and come back. Um, so, so, anyway, so I, as I say, I, that, that, that seems to me to work. And then again, when Frodo's will flares anew, right? Drawing his sword and resisting him, now two more drop back. Right, because he, which is again not necessarily a failure of them personally, but a failure of him. Like his will fails to be able to, like the 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 pressure of his will pushing them one way, and the pressure of Frodo's will pushing back the other way. Um, again, Frodo's will again bolstered by his friends that he has there, uh, 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 prevails. Right, and now he alone, the Witch King alone. Um, is pushing forward because he is still undaunted. He can still himself approach Frodo. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, so Fourth Thomas says the Witch King is able to overcome Frodo enough to make him put on the ring. Yes, that's a that's a win. That's clearly a win by the Witch King. Um, almost against Frodo's own will. Uh. Mm, not quite, not against his will, right? Um, he gives in, he submits to it. He, he, resisting becomes unbearable, but he makes the choice to give in, right? Um, what he's feeling, it's not a temptation. He's not being provided with reasons why he really actually truly wants to put on the ring, right? He's feeling the pressure and he submits to the pressure and it, it feels unbearable. Like he, he doesn't think he can hold out anymore, but he's not actually compelled. He does put on the ring and we will see next week, presumably, uh, the next morning, uh, that he, um, that he, he's going to rebuke himself for weakness of will. He's going to looking backward, realize he caved that that was on him. Right. And in Sorcelled, yes, at Mount Doom, it's different when his hand is moving of its own volition and he's like, stop, help, Sam, hold my hand. Right. That's that's against his will. Right. That is his will being overridden. Um, this is not his will being over. This is his will being pressured. Right. Very powerfully, very strongly pressured um, such that he feels that he can't hold out. But I think if we look at what happens later on and what he experiences in Mordor, I bet that Return of the King Frodo would look back at this moment and say, oh, I thought that was unbearable. That was nothing. Holy cow. That was, that was, you know, that was cheese ball compared to what I did, you know, what, what I experienced later on. Right. Um, you know, he's still in, he's still in, in, in the, in the, you know, the minor leagues of, you know, resisting psychic pressure at this point, but he's new to it and it feels overwhelming. Right. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, 
but but anyway, for long coming back to your point, um, or finishing reading your comment, even uh, he says, I find it hard to believe. So since Frodo was overcome by the Witch King's will before, I find it hard to believe that he is therefore that he, the Witch King, is therefore stymied enough that he can't command his minions. But remember, it's not static, right? Um, Frodo draws his sword. When Frodo draws Frodo drawing his sword is a kind of spiritual counterattack against them. Right, um, Frodo is when I, I believe that when Frodo draws his sword and resists them, he's not in the same place spiritually, emotionally, morally as he was when he put on the ring just a second ago. Right, um, I think what we're seeing here is a kind of back and forth, forth Dauntless. Um, this is a spiritual battle which is not not over in a heartbeat, and it's not um, uh, all one direction. I think we're seeing what we're seeing here is the ebb and flow of the spiritual combat between them. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Matt, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Matt says it might be easier to think of the ring rates, not as, um, being attacked, uh, as, 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 as attacking, but, and, and, and being stopped as if by a wall, um, or their spiritual sh- sword stroke being blocked by the spiritual shield being raised by Frodo. Um, but rather the witch king is coming, f- the witch king coming forward, Matt says, is like the spear slowly being pushed through the resistance, right? Um, yeah, yeah. The tip of the spear gets there, right? Um, but there is resistance, uh, all the way through. Even there was even resistance. He didn't immediately put on the ring, right? I mean, he fought for a while. Again, not nearly as long as he might have fought, you know, six months later. But still, uh, he fought. Um, so yeah, thinking about that as the pushing through. But but the resistance is real, right? The resistance is real. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, the knife. Both the knife and the hand that held it glowed with a pale light. We've talked about pale lights, right? Pale lights are almost never good. Um, Both the knife and the hand that held it glowed with a pale light. Um, This is an interesting contrast with Frodo's sword, right? His sword, it seemed to him that it flickered red as if it was a firebrand. His hand isn't glowing red, right? Um, This knife is connected to the witch king is an extension of him. He himself, his hand is glowing, right? If the pale light is a visual manifestation within this wraith world medium that they're existing right now, uh, while Frodo is wearing the ring, um, apparently you can, there's a visual manifestation of some of these things, just as there's a, there's a visual manifestation of the power of Frodo's sword, right? So too, there's a visual manifestation of the Morgul blade, the blade of sorcery, right? Which is clearly a magic weapon, right? Uh, that the Witch King has. But I think there's a significance to the fact that it's his hand also that's glowing. This is his power. He's the Witch King, right? He is a sorcerer um it is his magic it is his hand that is glowing right the 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 power is the power that is in his hand it doesn't just happen to be get he like found a magic weapon in his latest adventure and upgraded and now is you know attacking with plus four 
the the magic the 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 morgul power of that blade is an extension of his power it is his own power right um uh <laughs> i see people making iron fist references he is the immortal wizard king <laughs> defender of minas morgul sworn enemy of the west like that except uh uh, n- uh not quite like that much at all <laughs> um yeah no um uh okay sorry that was the facial expression of me resisting the temptation See, i like frodo i just experienced a temptation but resisted it that is the temptation to go off on an iron fist tangent uh having just watched season two of iron fist on netflix last week but anyway i'm not going to talk about that uh i'm going to talk about the hand of the witch king right um which is glowing again the power um the power that is in the blade is in his hand is from his hand right um in a way that it's frodo's hand is not is not burning with flame right frodo does not have that power his sword does right because it is invested with the spirit and power of the maker the numenorean maker um the witch this is this is this is a different situation the fact that his hand is glowing i think uh is meant to uh um to um convey something very very different um yeah, good. Matt says that this d- clearly proves that Frodo is the one who wrote the uh, uh, about the attack on Crick Hollow, right? Because he describes the Morgul blade there, and um, uh, he uh, he's the only one who has seen this blade, uh, and therefore, like you know, can describe it uh, like this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, he sprang forward and bore down on Frodo. I've got a great idea. Let's advance to the next slide. At that moment, Frodo threw himself forward on the ground, and he heard himself crying aloud, O Elbereth, Gilthoniel! At the same time, he struck at the feet of his enemy. A shrill cry rang out in the night, and he felt a pain like a dart of poisoned ice pierce his left shoulder. Even as he swooned, he caught, as through a swirling mist, a glimpse of Strider leaping out of the darkness with a flaming brand of wood in either hand. With a last effort, Frodo, dropping his sword, slipped the ring from his finger and closed his right hand tight upon it. Okay. Um. All right. Um. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Crystal's got. We read the last uh, paragraph. Yeah, not um, uh, not uh, not gonna leave you in a cliffhanger here. Okay, so all right. several things here I think are kind of hard to understand. Frodo throws himself forward on the ground. All right. Let me do a little experiment here. Let me reread a little bit, skipping one thing. 
At that moment, Frodo threw himself forward, and he heard himself crying aloud, O Elbereth, Gilthoniel! At the same time, he struck at the feet of his enemy. A shrill cry rang out in the night. Okay, how about that? Um, okay. Um, if you leave out on the ground, right, this sounds like a totally offensive maneuver by Frodo. He throws himself, he's already drawn his sword, right? The Witch King dashes towards him with knife and sword, and Frodo dashes back. Like, you can imagine a, a like a Marvel film slow motion, like, as the two of them, but Frodo's really short, right? So he ends up trying to take him out of the knees, right? Uh, and he strikes at the feet of his enemy, crying aloud his elvish sort of battle cry, and then a shrill cry rings out in the night. I wonder whose cry that is. We'll get back to that question in a second. So, okay. Um, that Right, that sounds like a, an offensive maneuver by Frodo. He's fighting back. At that moment, Frodo threw himself on the ground. If you just read so like notice i'm skipping i skipped another, a different bit right at that moment frodo threw himself on the ground and he heard himself crying aloud o elbereth gilthonio that doesn't sound like an offensive maneuver at all that does not sound like a a slow-mo marvel film hero attack right that sounds like somebody who just threw himself down and is covering his head with his hands and screaming for mommy or elbereth in this case right The problem is both of those phrases are there. For, the, the word forward and the phrase on the ground, right? Um, and I think, I think that um, I think that it's meant to convey this kind of ambiguous sense, right? Is Frodo launching himself forward in an attack? Yes, kind of, but not completely. Is he cowering down in fear as the Witch King advances upon him? Yes, kind of, but not completely. Um, I think that there's elements of both, right? I mean, like, he he's... Um, Hardin says, perhaps Frodo is ducking a potential sword swipe from his foe. It could absolutely be a tactical maneuver. Um, I don't really, I don't really think so. Um, Fourth Thoughtless says, this could mean that Frodo is trying both to attack and to hide at the same time, and he ends up doing both badly. I, that's exactly what it sounds like to me. Like, part of him is hiding, and part of him is attacking, and the result ends up looking weird because it looks weird. I mean, if you just picture exactly what is described, it's strange to throw yourself forward on the ground, but swipe at his feet, right? I mean, that's an inefficient way to attack. Uh, I, I think that's pretty inefficient as a way to, I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't possibly be effective, but like, Throwing yourself to the ground, generally not a good idea in combat. I'm not a really experienced sword fighter. Uh, I'm not even an experienced sword fighter of any kind. But still, I've read enough books to know that if you throw yourself on your face on the ground in battle, it normally doesn't end up well for you, right? Um, 
So I don't, I, again, I don't, that, and, it, and especially that whole motion, that motion taken by itself to throw yourself on your face on the ground in front of him, that's a bad look, right? That looks like him winning spiritually, right? And yet he is still going forward and he's attacking despite the fact that he's simultaneously prostrating himself on the ground while he's doing it, right? So I think it's both. I think it's both. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, falling but still scrappy. Karita, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think Frodo's, uh, Frodo's not, he's not, a, he's not a Marvel hero here, right? And if we see him that way, I, we're missing the point. Certainly, the, let's remember, who's describing this? Frodo is describing this, right? Um, and uh, and Sam didn't change it, right? Um, he cries aloud, O Elbereth Gilthoniel. But notice that. Um, uh, he heard himself crying aloud. If Frodo's will is being circumvented, if Frodo's will is being forced here, it's not by the Witch King, right? Frodo chooses, under duress, but chooses to uh, to put on the ring, right? Um, he could have resisted, but it was too painful to resist any longer, right? It's kind of like a shotgun wedding. Right? If somebody's holding a shotgun to your head, it's not like you don't have a choice. You do, right? You could choose to get shot in the head, <laughs> right? Like, it's still a choice. Um, Frodo had a choice. He chose to put on the ring under duress, but he chose to put on the ring. He didn't choose to cry, O Elberth Gilthonio, right? He just, he's like, well, gosh, um, I find that I am crying, O Elberth Gilthonio. Ha! Ah, ah. How'd that happen? <laughs> right? This is, that's involuntary, it seems, in that sense. Um, so, uh, yeah, Irindus, I agree. This description does really seem to capture perfectly this, like, ambiguous combination, this perfect blend of offensive maneuver and cowering in fear. Um, we see him winning and losing at the same time here, I think. Um, but, um, yeah, so, uh, who or what is doing an end around of Frodo's will here? Why is Frodo calling out Elbereth Gilthoniel? Um, is this an elvish spell of some kind? Is this, uh, is this, uh, again, the, the one thing that the description sounds to me like it seems to uh, eliminate as a possibility is that Frodo decided to do it because he thought it would be, um, I, <laughs> to, to say it as my son Matthias would say it, Frodo cries out, O Elbereth Gilthonio. It's super effective. Um, some of you will get that reference, others will not. But anyway... Um, He's not doing this tactically either, right? Um, again, I don't think that he's he's making that call. So who is making that call? Um, uh, he is. Um, he is. 
and by for those of you who don't get it, it's a Pokemon reference. Uh, sorry, just 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 to clarify what that was. Um, anyway, um, so two options I that I can see right away. One that this comes from Elbereth, straight up. Right. This is direct. Uh, this is a direct line uh, that the Valar themselves are, in some sense, intervening here, and he's being inspired, um, perhaps by Elbereth herself. Um, the other thing, uh, the other possibility, um, is that it's Gildor's fault. Uh, here's what I mean. There uh, you go. Thank you. Um, Erukheb quoted the line I was just going to try to recite from memory, Erukheb. That Frodo, son of Drogo, will know more of these fell things than Gildor Inglorian. May Elbereth protect you. Exactly. Gildor Inglorian, from whom he first heard the phrase, O Elbereth Gilthonio, right? The very phrase that drove away the Ringwraith, who was near him before in the Shire, right? Um, said to him, may Elbereth protect you. When Gildor says, may Elbereth protect you, I do not think that's just good wishes, right? I don't think that, you know, he's being like, you know, um, good luck, dude, right? That is not, trans- that's not elvish for good luck, dude, right? Um, when he's, I believe that he, when he says, may, may Elbereth protect you, he is doing something there, Right? Um, so is this in some sense, um, is this in some sense him, uh, has Gildor cast a spell, um, upon Frodo? Quite possibly in a sense. Yes. Like an elf seal of protection. Gussimus, exactly. That's exactly the kind of thing, uh, that I'm thinking about when in doubt blame Gildor, says Karina. Yeah. Blame Gilder? Yeah. Um, uh, it was Agents of Gilder. No, I, no, that's uh, wrong Gilder. Um, yeah. So, on the one hand, is it a spell? Is it a prayer? Right? Is When Gilder says, may Elbereth protect you, is this like, from my lips to Elbereth's ears? Right? And therefore, and that therefore, this is Elbereth answering Gilder's prayer to protect Frodo? I don't know that there is um, much to choose between those two things. That is like to say, is this like a spell of blessing laid upon him by Gildor and Glorian on the one hand, or is this Elbereth protecting him uh, as, you know, again, as Gildor prayed that she would? Is there a difference between those two things? I'm not sure that there is a difference between those two things, really. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> Karita says that I raise an important question, which is what, in fact, is elvish for good luck, dude? Um, because you're right, Karita. If, even if an elf lord said good luck, dude, to you, that's still got to be worth something, doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Um Yes. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think I'm going with both here. Um, do I think Elbereth is involved? I don't see any reason to think Elbereth wouldn't be involved. Do I think that this is 
a direct consequence of the blessing of Gildor and Glorian, that seems to... I can't avoid that. If only because in this moment when uh, he, Frodo, is receiving protection outside his own volition, outside his own intention, um, it's exactly recapitulating what Gildor and Glorian did, right? This The, the crying out of Oelberth Gilthonia, which causes the ringwraiths to flee, right? Um yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, <laughs> ask not the elves for good luck, dude, for they shall tell you both no and yes. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, yeah. So, so both of these two things, right? Both of these two things, um, I think are the, are functionally the same. But I think that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing Frodo is being protected, being protected not by his own will, not by his own choice. Um, this is this is. I, I, Gildor named him an elf friend. Gildor laid a blessing upon him. Gildor prayed that Elberth would protect him, and she is. All, all of those things at once, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and more into the bargain, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, those things are happening here. Um, and you know what? This answers a question that I think I've never answered well in my entire life. I've been, I have had people ask me for years, years. I remember having a, I, I distinctly remember a conversation I had in college about this, where one of my friends, who was also a Tolkien fan, was asking me about this. Um, and what he was asking me was, why do the ring rays run away? I mean, come on. Like, it's right there. The ring of power is right there. Like, why doesn't the Witch King just... I mean, he could just stoop down and pick it up, right? I mean, like, why would they run away? They're not being forced off, right? I mean, they're not being... There's no one setting them on fire. This is... Why would they run away? Answer, because they've been repelled, right? Oh, Elberth Gilthonia. Why did the Ringwraith run away in the Shire? when Gildor and the other elves showed up, right? Same reason. Um, I don't think that the ringwraiths are... Um, I don't think that the ringwraiths are running away, again, tactically. I don't think that they're like, well, this is now going according to our plan. We have stabbed him with our Morgul blade, and now we shall withdraw, and he shall come into our clutches inevitably i don't think that's the plan i think that they plan to take him but they i don't think they can choose but run away um when he cries aloud oh elbereth gilthoniel and and again it's not just him it's not just frodo invoking a magic word this is something else working for him through him around him he is protected in this moment and that protection is uh um is saving all of them as the and 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 makes the ring raids free flee like they do right when 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 gildor shows up saying oh elbereth gilthonio um providence as well maybe belongs bond absolutely and there's your classic example of is it one or is it the other no of course it's both right equally both 100% um yeah, yeah, Aslan's compass just thinking of uh of uh, uh Boethius there as well um yeah <laughs> he said the word. That's poopful. Exactly. Yeah. What do the ring race and the knights who say knee have in common? Um, yes. Yes. Um, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's kind of my answer. Yeah. Matt says, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Sauron doesn't want the Witch King to claim the One Ring. That's one of the answers that I've kind of toyed with. Anyway, I've been asked this question so many times over the last, I don't know what, 20 years, I've, 20, 25 years, I've been trying to answer this question. And I think I've always done a crappy job, but this, I think, is the answer. Uh, I think, oh, Elbereth Gilthonio. Um, Thinking about it in conjunction with Gildor Inglorian and his blessing and may Elbereth protect you. I think that is, in fact, the answer to the question, which I've never answered properly. What a rewarding experience this class is turning out to be. Here's another question. Let me get back to, rather, to answering the question I already posed. A shrill cry rang out in the night. Whose? Who cries out in the night? Who cries out in the night? Um, um... who cries out in the night? Is it Frodo, or is it the Witch King? I, you know, I think I, Frothgar. I, I think it's I think it's the Witch King. Now, it's possible, and I kind of like the idea that it's Frodo, right? That Frodo himself cries out, uh, and he sort of hears it in this kind of disembodied way, right? Uh, I, I kind of like that, but I don't think so. I think it's, it's Sam Demate. No way. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I think it's the Witch King. And I think again, this is the sound of the Witch King retreating. Um, uh, th- th- he, is, he is crying out shrilly, but not before he... Um, yeah, exactly. Arden Grand says, the, uh, the raids had bad intel. The target was much stronger than they expected. Exactly. That's what's... Ha- they are... Be- the Ringwraiths lose on weather or in the dell under weathertop right the witch king loses he not complete he's not routed right so let's see karita what is what grade do i give the witch king um i'm gonna go ahead and give the witch king a b plus i give the witch king a b plus he perseveres right again remember matt uh matt's image of like thrusting the spear against resistance right Kudos to him for getting through the resistance far enough to actually reach him and to complete the stabbing of Frodo at all uh, while the, you know, when after like the protection of Elbereth bomb gets dropped, right? Um, as he is, because they're almost simultaneous, right? A shrill cry rang out in the night and he felt a pain like a dart of poisoned ice pierce his left shoulder, Right. Um, so as he's being, as he himself, again, from Witch King's point of view, right, as he is uh, being, he means there's been tough sledding to this point, right? I mean, the spiritual battle has been touch and go, uh, but he's managed to make it all the way up to Frodo against tough resistance. Remember, the battle depicted from the opposite point of view, I think, looks like uh, like they're uh, fighting against long odds at this point. Again, the, the, the ring rates are not... This is not the ring rates pouncing on helpless foes, right? I mean, I think when we look at the ebb and flow of stuff, I think we can see the ring rates are... They're not outnumbered. Their numbers are equal. Um, but I think they're outgunned. I, the, the ring rates are not winning this fight. So B plus to the Witch King for actually connecting. Right, getting all the way and stabbing Frodo before he is driven off. Right, 
Um, exactly, Harnuth. I do think it is the invocation of Elberth that drove him off, and not so much Strider leaping out of the darkness with a flaming brand of wood in either hand. That's exactly the thing that I've had such a hard time trying to sell people on for the last 25 years, right? Um, you know, that, that uh, like, Strider with a torch is enough to, like, drive them away without setting fire to their faces, um, uh, uh, like he does in the film. Um, uh, Stephen wants to know, could Frodo have stabbed the Witch King in the foot? Yeah, oh yeah, totally he could have stabbed the Witch King in the foot, right? I mean, hey, Mary can stab him in the back of the knee, Frodo could have stabbed him in the foot, absolutely. Um, uh, it would have been fun because uh, to see the Witch King limping later on, if he had been, that would have been kind of awesome, but he doesn't. Um, so he misses him, but yeah, no, absolutely. If Frodo makes come, we have, we have empirical evidence to show that if, uh, uh, if these weapons do in fact make contact with the semi-corporeal persons of the Witch King, of the, of the, of, yeah, of, of the Witch King personally, um, that it, it matters. Uh, Dime is accusing me of great inflation. Okay, Dime. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should not be giving the Witch King a higher grade than I gave to Fatty Bulger, right? Yeah, it's so true, Dime, you're right. But it's a passing grade, right? He passes. He doesn't fail. Failing would have been running away, right? Not, but he gets the stroke in and it almost is enough. Maybe C+. Does that seem fair, Dime? Give him a C plus, like a passing grade, but still, like we'd still want to have a parent teacher conference afterwards, right? I mean, you got to think that that um, you know Sauron is going to want to have a long talk about his progress report when he gets home. Yeah, you got to think so. Um, yeah. Hrothgar, exactly. Continuing the tradition of bad guys in Middle-earth developing limps due to bladed weapons. Absolutely. It's a thing, right? I'd love that. Um, yeah, okay. All right, all right. DMA approves of my C-plus grade. Fine, that's fine. C-plus. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, um... Yeah. It is. A, it, it, he does end up executing Eric Hebb, as you say, just a Pearson run. Yeah, exactly. Um... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're correcting. Catriona had said his mission is mostly accomplished, even though he has to cut and run. And Eric was correcting that to Pearson run. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's a good thing he didn't bludgeon and run. Right. Um, yeah. And true, Matt, he does, he, he does get an extension, right? He could, he could still have his C plus replaced by an A if, uh, later on Frodo is, uh, 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 becomes a wraith and he's still able to bring the ring of power to Mordor. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it kind of works. It, it, it kind of works that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Could Frodo have been stabbed with the Morgul knife if he wasn't wearing the ring? Well, I'm not going to answer that question right now because the answer to that question is not in this passage. We're going to have to wait and look at the reaction passages and hear Strider tell us about the Morgul Blade. And we'll, we'll talk about that more next time. Um, uh, we don't... We're, we have no idea from this passage, so let's stick to this for now. But we'll come back to that, Evil Dr. Cannon, I promise. That's a great question, and I promise we won't, uh, we won't, we won't lose that. Um, okay, so... Um, um, so he, Frodo, is swooning. The dart of poisoned ice. Several people were talking about the dart of poisoned ice. Um, there is, of course, the fairy tale connection. I know, but I, I'm forgetting. Remind me. What fairy tale is that for? Somebody somebody gets pierced by 
poisoned ice, don't they? There's a famous fairy tale where there's a poisoned ice stabbing. Um, somebody remind me. But I, I know that at least one of you, the Snow Queen. There's a Snow Queen who gets pierced by poisoned ice. Right, yeah, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, Hans Christian Andersen. All right, I, 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 I knew that was a thing. But, um, but it's also, as several of you were pointing out, a really, a really, um, a really powerful uh, metaphor as well. Right? I mean, you can really feel that, right? You know, the ice, um, but that sense of, 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 of poison. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So he catches as through a swirling mist a glimpse of Strider leaping out of the darkness with a flaming brand of wood in either hand. Strider not wheeling the shards of Narsil, right, as he uh, attacks in. So sadly, I wish he were, if only because that would then show us what the shards of Narsil looked like to Frodo, right? Uh, that would have been fun, but oh well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Irindus, I think that's a really good analysis. Um, Irindus says, it's difficult to reconcile the fear they display here uh, with the Nazgul attacking Gandalf earlier. Like, you know, so Irindus, I think, is asking, like, why is it so hard for the Nazgul? Why is it such an uphill battle for them here when apparently they were duking it out with Gandalf earlier on? Um, and she says, someone as powerful as Gandalf could be assailed by the Nazgul when he was alone and in fear for Frodo. The companionship here seems to completely bowl them over. Exactly. There's more than one of them. Gandalf alone, and you're right, he would have been in fear, not even for himself, but for... He would have been vulnerable, um, I think, in some ways, to the Nazgul, right? Now, he succeeds in beating off their attack, to quote Gandalf, right? Uh, though not in that context. Anyway, to make a different Gandalf quote, he succeeds in beating off their attack, right? Um, on Weathertop. But but I agree. I do think that Gandalf is more vulnerable when it comes to this kind of spiritual battle. He has a lot of... He has many resources, uh, right? Just like Mrs. Elton, but he doesn't... Um, he's alone, and he's afraid, and he's worried about Frodo. I do think that he would be more vulnerable. Um, Aragorn doesn't even have to blow anything up at all, right, in order to repel the Ringwraiths. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's obviously Gandalf makes a lot of fire, which they don't love, right? Um, but, um, so, I mean, he does succeed in fighting them off. But I do agree. I do think that in some ways, uh, again, Gandalf has, um, he has, he has, uh, lots of resources. But he doesn't, uh, but he's also, I think... A little bit spiritually vulnerable here. I think that's a perfectly fine point. Um, yeah, and crownless. Uh, I, I, I absolutely. Um, I agree that one of the questions last time, and and I, I'm sorry, I forget now who asked it last time. One of the questions in our last session was, "Where the heck is Aragorn while all this is happening?" Right. Uh, Crownless, I kind of agree with your reading of this. Um, Crownless says um, what where he is while Frodo's being attacked is bending over and picking up sticks from the fire. He's right there, right? Um, uh, Strider leaping out of the darkness with a flaming brand of wood. Does that mean he went off wandering away? No, I don't think that means he went off wandering away and he's now re-entering the firelight from the darkness. Remember, we're talking about Frodo's vision while having the ring on, right? He can't see very much and he can't see Strider clearly at all anyway, 
right? So that Strider on the other side of the fire would be in darkness in Frodo's uh, uh, field of vision makes perfect sense to me. I don't think Strider left. Where, where, where was he going, right? But remember, this happens in a heartbeat. They, the, the shadows come to the edge of the dell. They come straight towards Frodo. There's this. He draws his sword. He, there, he has time to draw his sword, right? Sam has time to glance at him. Uh, he has time to, to draw his sword and then lunge forward. Um, we're talking second. This is like one round of combat, right? This does not take long. Um, and yet... Arden Crown, exactly. The attack feels like forever to Frodo. We do get a lot of these, like, frozen moments of description, right? Because it's very striking to Frodo. But this is over in a heartbeat. I, I don't think Aragorn's gone anywhere. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, it, it, could Frodo's vision be hazy because he's in shock? Yeah, fourth thought. Listen, how does that affect you when you're in the Wraith world, right? I mean, all bets are off on that, too. Um, I agree that there's no indication that the ring makes the world go dark. I agree. Um, but at the same time, there is some reason for thought. Now, again, no question, I always disliked the creepy ring vision thing that they do uh, in the movies. I've always disliked that. Um, but... I, um, I, I don't think we can judge Frodo's experience right now by Bilbo's experience in The Hobbit, or even Frodo's experience at other times, right? Um, there will be times when we will see Frodo wearing the ring, where, like, he's just invisible and you know, everything like, for instance, when he's rowing his boat away from um, uh, Parth Galen, right? No reason to think there. There's nothing. He, he can see Sam's hand, right? Fine as Sam is drowning, right? There's no, um, uh, he's able to paddle his canoe. But I mean, there's no indication that the world looks different to Frodo. However, this is not any moment, right? Um, think of the way in which he is being assaulted think of the the confrontation with the entering the world with the ring wraith seeing them and like how they couldn't see that I, I, this is a different kind of moment right so again i'm not saying that the ring has that peter jackson-esque uh ring vision effect but i um but at this moment i am perfectly willing to believe that even if it's like a, I don't know like a spiritual adjusting of your eyes in a sense right like you look at the you're looking at the ring wraiths, right? And then you turn and you look at your corporeal friend over there, and it's going to, you know, I think his eyes need to, something, you know, a sort of a spiritual effect that's kind of like that. I don't know. Um, but, uh, um, but Trifle, I think that's also really important to think about. Trifle says, this moment gives Frodo PTSD. We, we should remember, right? He's going to remember a lot of details about such scenes due to the trauma involved. Yes, and I would also add, Trifle, that probably not all of everything around him is going to be necessarily... Pre that vision of... Uh, that sort of glimpse of Aragorn leaping in out of the darkness. I can easily imagine somebody who is, like, having this sort of, like, tunnel vision moment, right? In that kind of, you know, I am 
experiencing a traumatic event that is going to give me PTSD forever, right? Exactly. In Sorcerer, like that's um, won't necessarily be seeing the whole vista, right? Um, but will freeze that moment, right? Of Aragorn leaping forward uh, with his torches in his hand, right? With his wooden brands in his hands. Um, that doesn't mean that Aragorn has left the fire and come back. Um, I really just don't think that that is what is being described here at all. Um, okay, good. Let's see. Um, yeah. Um, exactly, yeah. Irinda says, um, uh, it's not that Frodo's in a weird shadow world like in the movie, but that figures in the Wraith world will stand out more clearly or be easier to focus on. That's exactly what I was trying, what I was fumbling to try to say, Irindus, when talking about, like, his eyes adjusting, that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, yeah, sorry, Valori, you're absolutely right. We should stop here. Um, last thing that I'll observe is that Frodo does make one last effort, which is to take off the ring. Frodo taking off the ring. Um, there is one last item on Frodo's resume, right, from today's uh, actions, and that is his choice to take off the ring. There is a sense in which, at the very end, he undoes the choice that he made at the beginning. And like, he can't undo it. I mean, it's not like he goes back and reverses it. Well, he does reverse it, literally, but he doesn't undo it in the sense of making it not have happened. Um, but what he does do is he makes the opposite choice at the end. So there is a sense in which, again, he ends with victory, right? Um, yeah. And yeah, I was... I was uh, thinking the same thing for Thoughtless, contrasting it with Bilbo uh, lapsing into unconsciousness, wearing the ring in the Battle of Five Armies, right? I don't think that this means, like, Frodo succeeded where Bilbo failed. I mean, Frodo doesn't get clouded on the head with a boulder either. So, um, you know, <laughs> like Frodo is stabbed but not concussed, and so they have different experiences. But, but it's not about the comparison. We do have that image, right, of Bilbo lying invisible and unable to be found for days. What would have happened had that happened with Frodo. It is really important that Frodo make this effort of will. Um, and he does, but I think it's more than practical. It has a practical result, right? The result of Frodo being able to be found and helped uh, and tended. His, his wound to be tended and everything by Aragorn, um, which would not have happened had he been invisible, right? However, um, I mean, they wouldn't. how could they even have told that he was wounded, right? They wouldn't have known. Um, however, um, I think it's also more than that. I think this is also the last blow in the spiritual battle, right? Um, that Frodo in taking off the ring is striking. That Frodo has the last word in that sense, right? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. No, Catriona, they would have stumbled on him. Yeah, like somebody would have stepped on him sooner or later and figured out that he was there, but how would they have been able to tell he was wounded? Right. Uh, I mean, while he was unconscious anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And as Mike points out, if they had found him lying there invisible in the night and they had forcibly by feel removed the ring from his finger, that's a that's a move with implications. Right. Um, that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. 
good point. All right. Um, let's stop there. At least we accomplished my first goal, which was to um, to end the uh, to finish the chapter because we totally finished the chapter. And now I want to do drawings. So I'm going to do. So I said we're going to do drawings for those of you who came in late and didn't hear about this. Uh, but we're doing. We're doing. I'm giving stuff away because it's a fundraising campaign and we're celebrating. So I'm. 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 I'm, I'm going to give things away. Hey, Valoria, are you here? Uh, yes, I'm here. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, let's see. Good evening, everybody. Good, Good to be evening. back. Good evening. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to do drawings as I always do. Uh, that is, with dice, of course. How else would you do these things? Got your uh, D twenty table, right? <laughs> I I do I do I I uh, well for okay for the donor one. Uh, let me see. Hang on. Let me get up to a different. Uh, I'm just gonna pull up a different page here. Sorry. Needless to say, this needs to be refreshed. Let me speak of refreshing. Let me get back to uh, Lotro <laughs> here. Uh, okay. Hang on a second. All right. Okay, so I'm just looking at the. I'm just looking now at the uh, the generous donations that have come in during our class today. I'm going to do my first drawing of the people who have donated during class. Like I said, okay, there we. Oh, hang on, I just did the wrong date. That's not good. It's that's just not this month. Okay, that's better. That's this month. So many things with which to interact and. Okay, there we are. Awesome. Okay. Um, very good. Yeah. All right. I'm rolling my <laughs> die. And the winner is Michelle Chandler. You are the winner of our first drawing. So let me go back to our... I'm going to go back to my... Uh, so you can choose one of these five books. We will send you a copy of one of these five books and uh, with a custom book plate in it, which is really fun. And uh, so you can, so send us an email to this email address, donate at signumu.org, uh, and tell us which of these five books you want, and we will give you your book. And now let me do the bigger drawing of all attendees. Wait, hang on a second. I gotta, I gotta find something else. I gotta figure out. Wait, so how many people are here? Let's see. I'm looking at Twitch here, and um, looking. Wish there at, was a drum roll emote. Okay, we've got oh, 87. Okay, I need percentile dice for that one. All right, <laughs> got my percentile dice here. Let's see. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. All right. Um. Let's see. So on Twitch, uh, what else 73? What else 73? Uh, that is the, uh, if, uh, if you are here, that's right. You are the winner of our other, our attendee drawing here. Okay. So again, send an email to donate at signumu.org. 
And that's right. That's you. You won. What else? 73. Uh, so send an email to donate at signumu.org. Tell us which of these books you want, and we'll send you a free book with your book plate in it. Uh, okay, thanks, everybody, for attending. And thanks, of course, for making Exploring the Lord of the Rings awesome, because I could sit around and talk about this stuff for a long time, but it is so much more fun. Uh, uh, you guys uh, have so many awesome observations and I can never do this without you guys. So thanks. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much to everybody who donated and, and, and helped to uh, support us here today. And, um, uh, you know, I encourage you if you haven't gotten a chance to donate uh, yet that you uh, look into doing this. This is our again, this is our one time every year when we uh, are asking for support. So uh, just go to signumuniversity.org slash donate. This link up here at the top. This is the link to the donation form. Um, you can look at signumuniversity.org slash fund. That's where you can find all the awesome list of uh, 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 presents we will give you uh, in gratitude for your donations. And, uh, and let me also not forget to uh, remind you guys, this coming Saturday, I'm doing my Lord of the Rings online marathon. I'm going to take Wigan as far through Gondor as I can. So if you want to see me explore the paths of the dead and Gondor, places I've never, uh, I've never really explored before, then uh, uh-huh. I, uh, I encourage you to... Uh, to come on Saturday, uh, starting at noon Eastern time and going until as long as I can go. Question so, mark. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, thanks everybody. So I'm, we're going to switch over to uh, uh, our. Um, oh yeah. Um, so Bricktails asks, are the uh, Hobbit reading discussions from Saturday going to be on the iTunes feed? Good question. Don't know. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Uh, it's on YouTube, um, which is always the, the first place. Where all of our video content, we always focus on putting there. The audio content is what gets on the iTunes feeds, and uh, or rather, I should say, on our podcast feeds, which iTunes sometimes does and sometimes does not deign to carry properly. We've been having problems with iTunes lately. Um, but anyhow... It's the feeds work and the and it's, it's there on YouTube, um, but uh, I'm not sure, Bricktails, if that's going to be. I guess we could do. Which feed would I put it on? Tolkien Professor feed, maybe. Hmm. Not sure, but anyway, it's there um, uh, on uh, on YouTube. So that's what the, that's reliably our YouTube channel is the 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 number one place to look for recordings of uh, previous events and stuff. So. Okay, awesome. So thanks. I'm going to sign off on Twitter now. Thanks, guys. That that uh, we had uh, three or four Twitter folks who were participating all the way through. Thanks for your attendance and your comments. That was uh, that was great. I was getting comments from four places, to four different interfaces tonight. Uh, so I was trying to. So sorry. I know I missed lots of comments, but trying to balance that. But anyway, thanks, Twitter folks, for joining me, and I will see you guys next week. Good luck, dudes. That's right. Good luck, dudes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's uh, 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 Monica, that's starting to sound like a t-shirt, right? Uh, yeah, actually, I just, uh, I was, it's funny you said that because I was working on the t-shirt this you're week that said, uh, your, your, your mother was a seagull and your father drives a flying boat. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm kind of feeling now a Gildor and Glorian comic, right? Like a uh, <laughs> Gildor and Glorian saying good luck, dude. Um, yeah, yeah, with a lot of umlauts and accents on the problem. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's uh, that kind of it. Kind of feels like that needs to happen. Uh, I gotta say, yeah, okay. I think that's, well, uh, yeah, I could make that happen. 
Karita says she genuinely wants good luck dudes in Elvish on a mug. Yeah, uh, there you go. Uh, there any you go. scholars want to translate for me, I'm gay. That's good. <laughs> That's good. You can do that. All right. Okay, so tonight we're going to do our field trip. We don't have much time. It's already late, and that's my fault <laughs> for lots of reasons. But let's still do it. Um, we won't, we, we're only going to go to one place. But this is exciting because I, 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 we're going to go because like, I've been looking forward to the field trip all week long because I believe, I believe, uh, uh, to quote Mina Harker, that I made a discovery. At the end of uh, ah. at the end of, cla- of of our field trip last time, and that is super exciting. So 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 here, let's take off. So follow me uh, before. Don't travel yet because we're we're gonna go. We gotta see something in Brie first. Okay. We have to see something in Brie first because it is only by seeing something in Brie that I can be sure. I'm testing a theory. So let's oh, test the theory first. But there are bookends to this theory. I see. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to, I got, I've got to confirm. So, so what we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to come out here into the courtyard as soon as my screen loads and we're going to mount yeah. up and let's go this way. Cause we're going to go to the South gate. So let's go this way. Uh, oh, lagging terribly. Okay. There we go. Running into people's laundry, running into walls, can't see anything, like. lagging pretty badly, okay. Crossing the high bridge. I love how they put statues of boars on the roof in Bree, because, you know. On a wooden ceiling, there's, there's no on way wooden, this is yes, fire. Yes, stone statues of boars on a wooden ceiling. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Well, the ceiling's leaking, but at least the statue's intact. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Amethorn is wondering what Elvish for dudes would be. Well, this is what this is what scholars get paid the big bucks for, you know. Yeah, that's as, that's when it's uh, you know transliteration versus translation, right? Oh no 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 no. We could find we could find an approximate <laughs> word which we could we we could say as an approximation of dude. Okay, all right, everybody who's the by modern the modern meaning of dude too. Remember, because meanings change over the years. Exactly right. Yeah. All right. So come back, everybody who's who's with me. Don't go out the gate. We're going to go over to the ghosty place. Oh, ghosty place. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Here's what I want to see. What I want to see is right here, this tomb. Okay. Okay. So let us I'm carefully intrigued. look at this particular Dunedain tomb in the south of Bree by the ghost. Okay. Um, in particular... What is of special interest to me is the star on the side of the tomb. Sarcophagus. Yes, on the side of the sarcophagus, as I'm pretty sure that is a sarcophagus. So we see a seven-pointed star. Now, you'd say, okay, (laughs) Karina's saying, am I sure it's a boar? Maybe it's a bear with tusks. Uh, Sorry, Maori reference. Yeah, it was definitely a boar, Karina. That was as much a boar as the Roman emperor was a boar, but whatever. The point is, star, seven-pointed star. Notice that the star is pointed upwards. That's non-trivial, right? Many of the Dunedain stars point downwards, especially the Arthedanian stars tend to point downwards. That's the Numenorean way. When you look in uh, throughout Numinous, right, you see the downward-pointed stars. This star is pointed up, but not only that, notice how they upward-pointed the upward point of the star 
is kind of different, right? It's like darker. It's not. It's just. It, it's not uniform with the well, rest. It looks of like it. it's chipped off or something, right? But it's the same on both sides, and indeed, it's the same in lots of other places that we can see. Most especially, you can see stars like this, as we saw stars like this before in the Barrow Downs. Okay. Yes. This is a Cardolan grave. At least that was our conclusion when we so. were looking at this before. Um, uh, when we were looking at this, and when we were looking, because we know uh, the 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 Barrow Downs are our touchstone, right? We know that the, the one place where we are one hundred percent certain the Dunedain of Cardolan lived, and so where ruins, if ruins, if Numenorean ruins be found there, are going to be, uh, as we said, Cardolanian ruins, um, is going to be in the Barrow Downs, and we saw stars like this there as well. Right, and that led to my theory, which I was kind of excited about at the time uh, when we came back to Bree after that. That this was a Card- was was a king of Cardolan who is buried here in the south of Bree, suggesting that Bree was kind of annexed uh, by the people of Cardolan, which kind of makes sense because it's right next to the Barrow Downs, which was their primary. Um, their primary uh, uh, stomping grounds, of course, their primary defensive position, and it conceivably suggests that um, there was maybe even some that Bree itself was a point of contention in the wars between Arthedain and Cardolan. Right? We we think often about the wars with. Okay. Twitch is back. Yep. All right, Twitch is back. Okay, Great. Good. Okay. Yay. All right. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so uh, what was the last thing you heard me say? Uh, we're going to Harlog, and we're going to see if they had Cardolingian. Right, okay. That So the, we're, we ended up at the ruins there last time, so I'm going to try to... Boy, there's a big crowd here. I'm going to try to uh, get through... So let's go to Oscar Ruth. Okay. can I do for you? And meet you there. Okay, right. Oh, there it was. Hang on. I lost it. There is... Where did Oscarth go? Lone Lands. It's always further down than you think now that they put all those other destinations in there. Yeah. Hello? Lone... Oh, the... It's under T for the Lone Lands, of course. Oh, really? Seriously? Seriously, yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. No wonder I couldn't find it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we're going to go to Oscaruth, and from there, we will head off towards uh, the Harlow. 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 Yes. Okie dokie, then. Okay, yeah. Uh, all right. And while I'm here, I'm going to actually talk to this stablemaster. Hi there, Mr. Stablemaster, who might come in really handy later on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Mounting back up and heading down to the Harlog. Now, do we have any low-level folks? Is anyone going yeah. to die a hideous and painful death in the Harlog down here? I, yeah. Let's see. This is, yeah, this is when you say stuff. Or yeah. Jump up and down. Jump up and down. Jump or up and down your if down. you're, like, lower than level 40. 
Uh, looks like we're pretty set. Okay. But you All know right. what? Let's just everybody look out for everybody else. Yeah, if things start attacking, uh, nobody's let's left take behind. Action. Exactly. Because, it's, yeah, I mean, the place where we're going is awfully full of uh, mobs who will be fairly powerful to people of a certain level. Well, you just have to avoid the trolls. <sighs> Especially, yeah. But, of course, avoiding the trolls is exactly what I kind of don't want to do. Um, <laughs> but it's okay. This is another one of those don't worry, it'll be great speeches, huh? <laughs> well... It's not that. It's just that the area where the trolls are is an area I'm kind of interested in exploring, but it is super late, so I think I'm going to stick to the ruins and will annoy the trolls on another day. <laughs> Where's that title? Professor Olson, Troy Annoyer. Troll, Troll Annoyer. annoyer. Yeah. Troll Annoyer, that's hard to say. It is. Say that five it's times unexpectedly fast. difficult to say. Okay. All right. There are the ruins. What a nice clear night it is down here in the swamps. Yeah. Don't usually get nights like this in the Lone Land. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at finding the path of no enemies around here because uh, this is where the, the, the in-league quest usually is. Ah. Uh. The Waldo, what's his face? Oh, so um, yeah, the the Bilbo Baggins. Um, yeah, the there's the Bilbo Baggins birthday event the birthday today. Event, yes. Yeah. Yeah, should uh, do that, haven't you? Yeah, I haven't uh, done it yet. I, I've done it on Valori, so I can't do it again. But I think I think uh, Corey would like it a lot because it's all about it. Once again, it's another Hobbit telling of the story of Bilbo's disappearance. I am interested except, in that. Except you get well, several town folks' opinions, so that might be a fun thing to pick up. Just do a pickup thing on for the. Well, you're gonna have to do it in the next two and a half hours. It's. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. However, oh, well. you can do them all at once this year, so. It took oh yeah, that's nice. Like fifteen minutes. Really? Um, probably take Corey an hour and a half. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're all live now. Plus, there's a new quest out in Northern Mirkwood that I can summon you to. On, because uh, I'm on a captain for reasons, uh, yeah. and we can go do that one because that's a lot of fun. Well, that's really cool. Don't know that I have time tonight, but anyway, fun. here we're, we're people. Are, it's, it's it's super late. Observe for next year's fundraiser. <laughs> Behold, ta-da! Look at that tomb. Would you look yep. at the star on the side of that tomb? Huh? Yeah. Look. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. This was a stronghold of Cardolan. I love it. I was so not expecting that. So here in the Lone Lands, right, the historical architecture was playing out exactly as I predicted, right? We know that Weathertop was in the hands of Arthedine. That's established, right, in the lore. No question that that's how they were going to play it in the game. And looking out, I was speculating that everything south of the of the road was going to be Arthodyne and north of the road was going to be Rudour and we were you know like able to build like 
historical archaeological theories to explain why this would be right but my question was the harloig is you know it's 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 different it's this little sort of notch you know stronghold down there was that going to be arthodyne or rudauer that was my question going in right is that arthodyne or rudauer and i was like oh it's probably going to be arthodyne right um be yeah. just because it's on the south side of the road and then last week i wrote in and here I come right into here, and this is where I ended class last time, which is totally where I'm going to probably end up ending class tonight, too. And came to this tomb and, like, you know, blow me down. There is that star that clearly Cardolan star on the side of this tomb. And I was like, I did not see that coming. But, Very good. There's, there's another tombs over here, too. But what a lovely idea. What a clever, clever thought. Uh, by yeah. the Lotro developers, right? Because, of course, it's super tempting to turn uh, the the uh, the Civil Wars, right? The Arnorian Civil Wars into a two-sided affair, right? Into mm-hmm. a into a, a Rudauer versus Arthodyne thing, you know, good Everyone guys again. versus... Oh, dear. <sighs> that was fun. Yeah. So, uh, yes, the Bilbo thing does end at two, three in the morning. Uh, sorry, I, I've been trying to get your attention about it. I knew you no, were- I know. Yeah. I, I, I would like, but I just, yeah. Anytime I have to play the game, I should be prepping Wigan. There's really no... Yeah, and that's also the other thing I did want to bring up. Um, I have actually been running through that on my soon-to-be raid alt. Okay. Um, the quest started in 95, and by the time you get to, like, um, you know, Okay, so he's saying, I think we will take this as a sign. <laughs> oh, I'm back. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. I can hear you yeah. again. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I think I'm going to I'm gonna go, go like Aragorn and take this as a sign here. Um, yeah, sorry. I don't know what's happening here. My internet seems to be oh, going wonky. But, yes, it's sufficiently late anyway. So, um why don't we say goodnight? So I, 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 my, this was why the number one thing I wanted to accomplish was to prove my theory, which has been proven. So which you did. Um, we'll finish exploring next time. But anyway, sorry, I apologize for the I apologize for the technical difficulties. Um, it happens. Like yeah. Your yes. I'll, I'll try and fix it tomorrow. Yeah, it might be my IP. I'll try to sort things out. But anyway. Sure. Okay. Thanks, everybody. I will see you guys next week. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.